to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. My name is Luke Byron. I'm joined as always by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week. Minimal news of the week. I wanted to keep things brief because we do have plenty to get into. We'll go over the League Cup final. We'll go over Bielsa's sacking, Conte's comments last week, Josh Taylor physically robbing Jack Catterall and uh, UFC 272 this weekend after the mishap last on last week's episode. Jack, uh, we started one minute ago. I've actually already had a message saying pass my regards on to Harper, so I think it could be one of those weeks <laughs> for you. <laughs> if we start with the news of the week, we'll educate people and then we'll get into uh, the weekend's events. Um, so the scientists are on it again, and they say that washing dishes lowers heart disease lowers the risks of heart disease in older women. Get back in that kitchen. You said it. Uh, With Hollywood running out of cool toys to make into movies, Jerry Bruckheimer has settled for Beyblades. Nice. So we're getting a Beyblades movie. I I, I wouldn't have said that's a settle. That's a win. (laughs) I actually... um, I kind of have the thing now where um, for my nephews or uh, nieces, or, uh, my nephew or nieces, I just look at the toys that I enjoyed playing with and I'm just waiting for them to be old enough to start getting them. And I was looking at um, Beyblades. They charge a fortune for them now. It's like old football kits. They don't they don't make them anymore. So they charge like four times the price of what they were. Jesus. Infl- yeah. Inflation for you. If, I mean, if you have a look just on Amazon and... Uh, if you were to look for like Beyblades, like the arenas and things, they're charging like 40 quid upwards for these things. And it's a little like plastic cave. I'm expecting the actual thing to come out of it at that point. The tiger has to come out of this Beyblade. If I'm, I'm spending pretty that sure, much money. I'm pretty sure we used to um, use the bathtub as the arena. Just make sure it's all dried out. And then whiz it around in there. Just scratch that to smithereens. Yeah, save it. Your mum loves that. Jesus. I can make you something, lads, at work if you need it. I can make you something really fancy. Don't don't worry about the plastic. Move stuff. away from the podcast and just have a big tournament. <laughs> uh, Chicago police offered teen McDonald's in exchange for confession to crime that someone else committed. Corruption in the force. But I know you didn't do this, but see those twenty nuggets over there. They could be yours <laughs> if you're willing to do a ten stretch. <laughs> won't be too bad they don't do mcdonald's breakfast anymore i think you'd be seriously worried about the number of people (laughs) that would take the deal there as well (laughs) yeah i mean i'm sure that that is a far more serious story but you don't pass up headlines like that on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) very similar to um new england college student has legs amputated after eating leftover noodles (laughs) i don't know if anyone else saw this story no, I can't yeah, say I did. I didn't know it was noodles, which actually makes it far worse. I thought it was like pizza or something, but yeah. Um, thought he would uh, be crafty and nick his mate's leftovers before he woke up. Um, and there was some kind of like a bug or whatever had uh, grown inside the food the way they'd uh, stored it overnight. Yeah, he had to have his fingers and his legs amputated. What on earth? I'm never one for saving things for the next day. Very rarely. <laughs> You're right in itself, that. I mean, I, <laughs> we won't do I, it. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd sooner throw it out than have it the next day. 
Maybe you're wise judging by this. Yeah. <laughs> this is just a ploy from a fast food company. They just want people to make a fresh order the next day. <laughs> they've paid him. They've gone, you know what? You don't need to lose your legs, but look, we've got marketing to do. So would you mind? Um, and finally, a uh, woman quits job to breastfeed boyfriend full time. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about Sean's new relationship on here. <laughs> Very, what? very cheap. <laughs> Why does she have to leave her job? I, don't, I just can't give up. If this wasn't weird enough, what? Sure, well, you know how humane and Sean is. But the, the thing is, someone, one of them's going to have to work. So even if she's quit her job, he's surely got to go to work. I'm so confused. He's a WFH and uh, she's BFH. <laughs> there we go. That is your news of the week. This week on Movie Madness, before I forget, Cape Fear, which uh, I've not seen before, up against uh, uh, one that you may, may not expect to be in that kind of conversation, uh, Run All Night with uh, Liam Neeson, if you can remember that from about 2015. His, his son kills what I think is like the son of a, like a mob boss, and then the mob boss basically tells his old mate, look, you're my pal, but your son killed my son. Now I'm going to have to kill him. And it's just, there we go. Liam Neeson doing his thing. It was that kind of time. The Liam Neeson genre. Yep. Jack. Jack's kicking his dog, getting him to bark, saying, get me out of here. (laughs) Oh, guys, I've got to go, guys. Come on, this dog. Oh, God. All right, well, we'll get into that without further ado. Uh, Liverpool won an epic League Cup final 11-10 on penalties against Chelsea on Sunday to claim the trophy for a record ninth time. Um, ESPN added into their headline that it was taking them one one step closer to an unprecedented quadruple. That might be a, se- that might be a separate conversation, but that seems to be a thing as soon as Liverpool won yesterday. It was like, what a quadruple's on now. <laughs> one down, three to go, baby. I'm getting ideas, Luke. I'm getting ideas. Like Liverpool were just settling for the treble beforehand. <laughs> like it would have been a wash of a season if we couldn't have all four. <laughs> um, yeah, I've kind of broken this down into chunks, but I do think it's worth saying um, this wasn't a nil-nil because of either good defensive play or deliberate defensive play. It, it was nil-nil effectively because we had some great saves and some terrible finishing. Um so if we do run through the key moments and uh, I'll get everyone's thoughts as we go through. Um, if we could start, Jack, with Chelsea's missed chances and we'll go on to Liverpool's after rather than going back and forth. Um, Kai Havertz started in place of Lukaku and I'll get your thoughts on that kind of as we summarise the game afterwards. But he did start brightly started promisingly I don't think there was any complaints within about five minutes of the game starting I think the commentators felt it it was probably the right call he plays in uh, Pulisic early on Kelleher keeps him out from close range but look for a guy who is in the team to be scoring goals he's got to be doing better yeah 100% I think you look at it and um I think Havertz and a false nine just in general for a system is a better matchup against Liverpool's defence because, I mean, you've got Van Dijk in there. I don't think you win in many battles, especially the kind of form Lukaku's been in 
recently. I think <laughs> the, it was definitely the right call to have a bit more mobility in the front three. And it did look like we had that. We looked a lot more fluid and a lot's been made of it since Havertz has come in at the kind of false nine position the last couple of games. Um, so, yeah, I think it was definitely the right decision. And if it wasn't for some woeful finishing, like you've previously said, we, we could have been a good few goals up. Um, but, but then so could Liverpool with, without yeah. some of those amazing saves. The next, the next one to mention, and I do think, um, I mean, I'll ask you if you agree, I, I do think he was the worst player on the pitch yesterday, uh, Mason Mount. Um, he misses an opportunity that seemed easier to score as he kind of just bounces a volley wide of the post. Had a little look to the linesman saying, please, please lift your flag up. And this was right before half time. You could have gone into the break ahead after kind of exchanging chances. Yeah, 100%. I think he didn't have a good game. Um, and if he wasn't Mason, he probably would be getting a lot more hate than he probably will be getting. He's allowed to have one bad game. Um, but the finishing was so poor. It, it, it was kind of a throwback to last season where this season we just haven't been creating anything at all. Whereas last season we were creating chance after chance and just not finishing them. We are the least clinical team I have ever seen. <laughs> With the chances that we get sometimes and the fact that they're not put away, the reason why there is a, a gap in a great cup team, but in the league there's that gap for a reason. That's because we don't put these chances away. And that's as simple as that. Um, the first just... one, I was begging for it to be offside. I was texting all my mates in the group chat. I was like, please tell me that was off. And it wasn't. He didn't text any of us, did he? Did any of you get a text? I think I put it in the uh, group chat, did I not? Um, just you texted all your mates. I don't remember getting anything. Well, the, anno- the annoying thing is, is I'm the only <laughs> Strangely, the, the podcast chat wasn't the one to yeah. be in for it. Like, <laughs> in a um, group chat for the Liverpool fans, so they'd be able to give me... <laughs> Quicker, quicker. Wasn't a good day for me in that. Um, yeah. yeah. You said there, Jack, um, that Mason Mount probably got an easy ride in comparison. I know you commented on it half time, TK, when they were breaking down the chances. They had quite differing reactions to the Pulisic miss and the Mason Mount miss. <laughs> it was outrageous. Just the way the Mount was just swept under the carpet. And he's like, oh, Pulisic, he's got to do better. <laughs> Come on, lads. Let's have it all things equal here. Because Jack Mason Mount, then he gets the other one, which is probably the standout chance when you break them all down. Um, four minutes into the second half, he finds himself unmarked in the middle of the box, kind of gets the ball stuck under his feet, and then can only hit the post with, um, well, Kelleher was beaten. Yeah, painful. That was one of those, it was right down below me. And I was Slow motion, there. wasn't it? But yeah, the way that, the, what I kind of attribute, attribute it to, or liking it to is Old Trafford when Torres had kind of chipped De Gea when we're 3-0 down to make it 3-1 <laughs> and then oh, five God. minutes later oh. he does a step over goes past De Gea and then spoons it with his left foot into the crowd when it should be 3-2 oh. it was that kind of levels of I was already half out of my seat mm. celebrating and that's even worse because you've got the initial elation like he can't miss and you see it roll past the, <laughs> roll past the keeper. I think it's in. And then it hits the post. And that sheer just dread just fills you. And from to go from such a high to such a low in such a short period of time, she makes you feel a bit ill. I was physically ill. 
Who was it that missed the open goal against Spurs on Saturday? Because I don't think he got nearly enough stick. Stuart Dallas. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> oh God, it was, that was not pleasant. The Just poor kept running it in, didn't didn't trust his stronger foot to tap it in for about <laughs> ten yards. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, not to go full Frank here, but let's get back to the matter in hand. Uh, yeah, Mason Mount Jack. If you were to uh, give him a rating for his game, what are we talking? I wouldn't say it's below a five. I wouldn't say it's below a, uh, over a seven. You wouldn't? No, I wouldn't think so. It wasn't dire. He linked up the play well and he was a nuisance. His finishing was just terrible. If you're but, honest here, if if Werner missed those chances, what are you giving him out of ten? <laughs> I expect it at Werner. So no, no, but come on. He's, he's How much his, stick are you giving Werner if he misses them? Again, he's gone past the realms of having stick. You're just like, well, it's Werner. It's our own fault for playing him. <laughs> he's a he's a novelty character now. Exactly. Honestly, I've seen I've seen Boris Johnson answer a question better than this. <laughs> Dare I say if Romelu missed those chances? Oh girls. I'm not one to abuse my own players unless it's Wow or William. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> suddenly that feel, that feels a lot more relatable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there. Liverpool did miss enough chances of their own. TKM, Mendy, on about 30 minutes, pulls off what I did see someone on Twitter call the double save of the century. <laughs> I um, saw that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, save from Naby Keita from about the edge of the area. And then Sadio Mane, again, one where it was seemingly in slow motion. You're just waiting for him to lift it over the keeper from six yards out. And somehow he, he gives Mendy a chance to get a hand on it. Yeah, Mane has an incredible ability to give goalkeepers highlight real saves. And that is not the compliment to the goalkeeper that it sounds like. <laughs> uh, fair play to Mendy because he, he did do his part, but Mane's got to close the, close the show there anyway, doesn't he? Now, I'm not going to do a, a full Willian comparison here, but it does seem to seem, <laughs> does, does seem for me at least, and I was at it yesterday saying similar, Liverpool fans seem to say that these Mane performances are, are, are far more common than uh, the pundits would have you believe. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, it's probably been a, a downward trend for the last couple of years, really. Um, but he does have a CV to fall back on. For, for the bulk of his Liverpool career, he's been very good. He's obviously got a joint golden boot with Salah and Aubameyang. So... I think in the world of punditry, you kind of have to really spectacularly have a downturn in form for them to kind of acknowledge that, which maybe you might say they're not doing their job then, but that is that does seem to be the way it goes. What if I told you The Athletic have an article up today saying Mane is in uh, his best form? <laughs> I would say The Athletic would be in The Athletic. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually have one with Mane and Salah and it's like the same title, but it's like in the form of their life and still looking to kick on and win more this season. And then it's an article about the quadruple. Yeah, it's, the thing with money is he will give you just enough that you can't say he's been like horrible most games. Where, or if he gives you like two bad games, he'll give you the third game, he'll give you something. You'll be like, okay, there's a bit of something there still. So you can't really give up on him. It's probably where he gets away with it, I think. But yeah, when, it, when it's bad, it is not pretty with him. You've referenced him having money in the bank, which I do think is absolutely fair. Do you think 
just having him on the pitch in in the same way that Werner went from being spoken about as a goal scorer to Chelsea fans saying, well, you got to understand, like he stretches the play and he pushes the opposition mm-hmm. back. Mane, even if he's not putting the ball into the back of the net, you're still not giving him 10 yards of space, are you? So he is at least doing a job in that aspect. Just yesterday, if you were to compare, I think having Luis Diaz on the other side really made Mane's performance look worse. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's the, the Diaz performance was you're kind of watching a guy probably losing his job in front of your eyes, really. Um, particularly unfair on Manny in that he's not really a central striker and he's having to do that. I think that got exposed a few times where he had to come to feet, play back to goal, and he just didn't really seem to know what he was doing as well. So I guess you do have to caveat it slightly that he was out of position, but that doesn't really necessarily uh, explain the finishing, does it? So. I think Mane actually, um, I'm sorry, I think Salah actually benefited from having less of the ball than Mane when it came to critique of performances because I think if Liverpool had lost the final ultimately, there would have been a, a, a far greater microscope on Salah's performance because... And on his miss, by the way. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, he, it's good that's what I was about to reference. To as good a chance as you'll, you'll get. Um People will say, oh, you, if you wanted to fall to anyone, fall to him. You might question that, but people would. Um, so having said that, I do think Chelsea dealt with him well. I think if if you were going to have a, a top team to deal with a player, I would say Chelsea are the team and Rudiger down that side is probably, they're the team and they're the personnel that I think you would choose. If you say, and we say this a lot with the NFL, sort of that, look, we're going to go out and make sure that he doesn't beat us today. And if someone else steps up and is the hero, that's that's it. But he's not going to beat us today. They, and I thought Chelsea did the absolute utmost they could. And that one chance would have been the one where you say, look, that's just the sort of player can do that. And he wasn't able to take advantage. They they learned from the game at Stamford Bridge, didn't they? Because before the game, I can be completely honest, I, I put my uh, little £5 request to bet that 365 would dish in out. Um, and I had it on Alonso to be booked, uh, Salah to score and Liverpool to win by two or more. The, the the first half performance you had at Stamford Bridge mm. and the way Salah seemingly just looked at Alonso and was like, You're having you're putting him on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just drove at him and did not care that he was standing in his way. It was just I'm gonna knock it past you like Bale in the Copadaro final. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I didn't ever really see an opportunity in which Alonso was isolated against Salah. Like the, the opportunity that we're referring to there. Tuchel dropped to the floor when Mason Mount missed the chance. Um, and then I think it was, what, a couple of minutes later, um, Mendy, really his only poor moment of the game, kicks it out straight to Salah to give him the one-on-one in which uh, Thiago Silva clears off the line. I'd, I don't remember Salah being able to isolate Alonso at all. And so, as you said, they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they did handle him. But I guess we just expect Salah to still beat that and that to not affect him. That's it. And, and that was his moment. And he, he didn't, he left his lines. I, think Sorry, we, I just think we match up pretty well against Liverpool. Um, mm. Never yeah. quite well enough to dominate, but enough, well enough to really be competitive. And I mean, a team like Chelsea, I guess you'd argue that we should be pushing for more than that. But the form that Liverpool have been in recently and the form that we've been in recently I think out of all the games this season, they've been so tight and they've been, well, not decided because it's been three draws. I know there's the penalty shootout, which obviously won, but 
I meant like more so in the Premier League yeah, okay. season. There's moments that decide these, and it was either Reese James handball on the line, and uh, or just crazy three minutes at the bridge earlier mm. on this year. It was just we just match up pretty well. Um, well, Jack, like all logic suggests that if you were to put Salah and Luis Diaz against Azpilicueta and, Lo- and Alonso at wing-back, oh, yeah. that should only end one way, and I yet just, it's I, not I, as simple as that. I'm so worried before the game started. I mean, I was expecting us to get absolutely rolled just on form and exactly that, not having a fit Rhys James and a, a fit Chilwell. Rhys Flames, seems- you told me. <laughs> Rhys Flames, I believe you called him on here. <laughs> Rhys Flames. <laughs> oh, I don't blame like you though. People were calling uh, uh, Connor himself was uh, say a Shawberto Carlos around the same time. So uh, oh. that doesn't Reese Flames doesn't look so bad. I mean, <laughs> Starboy doesn't look great now. But, so <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought it was a really good game. Thought, it was really good, wasn't it? For, it was. It was. I'm not sure how it's nil nil. It's just an unbelievable game. Yeah, exactly. I think I've said this as well. I said this today. To, to, I think my dad. Um, if Liverpool had our chances, they would have won about four 0 Well, Jack, actually, so without even considering extra time here, up to record the expected goals as we see more and more. Um, one point eight four for Chelsea, two point four one for Liverpool. So effectively, in other words, a game like this could have easily finished two two. And by the way, that doesn't include the various occasions when either side had the ball in the net before an offside flag or VAR, etc. Yeah. I mean, that, that is true, but again, that mount chance, I, I just know if that falls to a Liverpool forward, that goes in, both of them um, mm. go in, like, just without a doubt, and then yeah, I just and the Pulisic chance as well, you I just you just back Liverpool to score these, yeah. we've got to a position now where we get ourselves in these positions and we don't back ourselves to score them, they must feel that nerve, those nerves because that we don't have a team full of free scoring players, but we just we don't have anyone that can finish. It's, like the, the stats that we put up at the end of every season from our forward players just aren't what you'd expect those players to be putting up. You've got a lot so, of players who kind of I think go into a game thinking they might score rather than knowing right we're going to score today, don't you? Exactly. It's it's a as it's a when not if scenario with Salah, and it's mm. an if always an if not when with us. It's yeah. a weird one across the board for you, isn't it? In that, um, effectively, you want Lukaku to have the chances that are made because Havertz is on the pitch in his position, but the chances get made because Lukaku isn't on the yeah, pitch. Exactly. Exactly so. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Like I said earlier, it's a throwback to last season where we didn't. Just while you bought Lukaku, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just honestly the weirdest conundrum we find ourselves in. If um, I ask you, Jack, um. So I saw a comment today and it said that this is the greatest nil-nil of all time. <laughs> in in fact, the game they compared it to, which um, I'm about to go against what I said there, which doesn't finish nil-nil, they said the greatest competition they would give this and the game they likened it most to was the 2006 World Cup semi-final between Germany and Italy in a game that had both teams showing their attacking talent, missed chances. I think Podolski missed a hatful on that day. And ultimately, Grosso and Del Piero scored two in the 119th, 120th minute. But they said in terms of the level of quality on the pitch, but the level of chances being missed, and just the drama of it all, they said that was probably the best comparison. Is there another nil-nil 
that you can think of that tops this or one that you would put in the conversation? Off the top of my head, no. I mean, I came out of the ground thinking that that was, for whatever happened, it was a brilliant game. But I was, in my head, I was thinking, am I thinking that because I had a dog in the fight? Or mm. am I going to get and see the re- reaction on Twitter of, God, that was a bore fest. But mm. no, it seems that everyone just agreed that it was a really good match. I actually I think the- you and TK are probably the people that enjoyed it the least. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, got, it got to a stage in the penalties where... I was just feeling we're going to talk about those don't you worry physical physical pain <laughs> of just I can't go through much more of this they felt throughout the whole game even in the 90 minutes so it's just like a, a tension of like one goal suddenly just, just changes this and probably wins it even I think fairly early on I think whoever got that first goal you were kind of thinking they might be home and dry and so yes. there's just this constant back and forth the crazy thing about the game as well that like both teams had these spells of like 10 or 15 minutes where they look properly, properly on top. The start of the game, Chelsea were on it. You're like, oh my God, we're banging trouble here. And then the next 15 minutes, we were all over you. It was like, yeah. that's kind of what made it such a great yeah. game. Two well-matched teams because they kept having these time periods where it was really one or the other. I totally agree. And I was actually going to say that. That's absolutely completely right. Where it wasn't end-to-end. It wasn't like, right, you have a go, we have a go, you have a go. It was sustained pressure from both teams and it switched within, like you said, 15, 20 minutes of each other. Just, As you said, I didn't know whether the, the tension was kind of in my mind because I'm a fan watching, but mm. it, it did seem to translate to everybody else as well, just that the, this was sort I, of pivotal, any little thing. I think it was like a, a freer final than we're used to seeing, maybe because it is the Carabao and there's a bit, mm. little bit less pressure than, say, an FA Cup or something like a big, like a Champions League or whatever. But it just seems there was that tension, but again... It's just so many chances. I don't remember no. seeing that many chances in a final. Well, particularly it doesn't, matter which, doesn't matter that they weren't put away, but just those opportunities to Clear score. Clear-cut chances like yeah. that are just so few and far between normally in most games, but certainly, in a, yeah. like you said, in a cup final. Cup finals normally shit out, don't they? Let's face it. Chelsea have given us some of the worst cup finals we've ever seen. That yeah, United-Chelsea yeah. <laughs> FA That's Cup the final. That's the one, <laughs> They didn't even let us have penalties to oh, end it. Um <laughs> That was that's probably the opposite of that Germany Italy Germany Italy game that I referenced where neither got penalties but one felt you felt far more robbed than, yeah, than in the yeah. other. Should we go through the disallowed goals then? So Joel Matip's header was ruled out after VAR ruled Virgil Van Dijk was offside and interfering in the build up to his goal. This was one, and I sent you both the tweet. Um, from like an Arsenal Twitter page and it said I can see why that goal was disallowed but as is often the case with VAR it feels like an answer to a question nobody asked once we saw you get that first moment don't you the, the replay pops up and you make an instant decision like that's onside that's offside mm. when it first came in you were struggling to see okay where what are they giving this for until they kind of honed in and I know they have the audio that it's Van Dyke they're looking for, but not that he's played the ball, but that he's obstructed Reese James while being offside. It, it's just one of them. I would compare it to what was the, was it United Villa in the FA Cup? Where yes. the goal, and it was like, okay, we couldn't find something here, so let's go back. And if we can't find something here, we go back again. And it's like, mm. you're looking to rule out this goal. 
maybe they were enjoying the game as much as we were and they wanted to keep it nil nil. <laughs> Let's get it spicy. Is so lost in all that. I mean, it, it's a great worked set piece from Liverpool. The, the kind of thing I wouldn't attribute to them. Like I can't imagine a Klopp team on the training ground working a dead ball routine like that. That isn't just Trent whipping it to the back post or <laughs> Trent firing it into it. Like, uh, that, that seems so un-Liverpool and then it pays off and you can't do that twice. So you've yeah. lost it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's been shown our hand, haven't we? I don't know. We, we do definitely have these set-piece routines in there. It's something I think they brought extra people in over the summer to work on as well, actually. But um, yeah, you're right. It, it felt like both those, that tweet was absolutely spot on. It's about VAR in general, about the, the question normally asked. And it did have that feel of looking for a reason not to give the goal. Um, even when I first saw like Van Dijk's foot, now I was like, "Well, he's not involved in play, really, is he?" And he obviously he does obstruct Reese James. Is Reese James getting to that? I don't think he is. Is probably any beef I would have with it is I don't think Reese James is going to make it. But ultimately, I guess they'll say, "Look, we don't know that," and so as a result, we've got to do it. So by the book, I, I guess it is. They do rule it out, but it seems it felt very soft to me. So, Jack, do you think if you'd left the ground and I'd put that goal in front of you and said, show me what that's been ruled out for, do you think you could have picked out ultimately what's gone against Liverpool in that sense? I'm finding it very difficult to justify why it was disallowed, which says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like if that was a Chelsea goal that was disallowed, I would be absolutely <laughs> raging. So I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. But- that's a that's a good litmus test actually. If you say, look, if you were leaving the ground and they put that in front of you, and that you can't be told the context of this, tell me why this is ruled out. If you don't have a clue, then it's probably because that's ultimately what this is a stupid thing. Yeah, yeah. Because they aren't having it put in front of them, and they're saying, all right, find this. They're they're looking, and they there's enough of a case with what a couple of people in a room where they say, this is what we're going to look and see. We're going to rule this out for and. I, I think if you start doing that and you start ruling out any time a player is in front of someone else while they're offside at a set piece, you're going to, have a lot you're going to be ruling out just about every set piece goal. I feel that this is as if they would disallow the Kovacic goal earlier in the season in Chelsea-Liverpool, where Rudiger's just stood offside in front yeah. of the keeper. It's going nowhere near him. Um, Schmeichel tries that every time he concedes a goal. <laughs> I, by the way. I saw someone tweet, like, has Schmeichel ever not thought someone was offside for a goal? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is, um, it's, in, yeah, it's infuriating. Like, I don't think you'll see another set piece and see another goal ruled out for the same thing for the rest of the season. No, I, no it's just nonsense. Probably right. I think, yeah. I think I, I, I'm trying to make a case for it, which, again, I'm a Chelsea fan trying to make a case for this and not being able to really fully with my whole chest say it speaks volumes well jack so Havertz heads in with 13 minutes to go this this felt like one where even the chelsea fans didn't celebrate too much like var wasn't even needed to rule this one out timo is offside in the build-up and it's and i headed in like you you know really (laughs) Yeah, we, we just assume that he's always offside anyway. So whenever, when he, whenever he's involved, we don't get too happy. Like, it was a half-hearted jump up when it went in. But, like, we, it happened directly in line with where I was. And it's like, yeah, no, that is miles off. I could see that. 
he's just got no excuse as well. It's like, if you've got one thing, it's yeah. pace. And yeah. so why are you getting caught offside so much? Just, just run on to it. Just give yourself. <laughs> yeah. You will yeah. have half a yard on most players in the Premier yeah. League. Just do it. I don't and know. It, he's been doing it for two years. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not took a step back and thought, you know what? I am getting caught offside ridiculously often. Let's just change this about my game. No, he just, he's always offside. I don't know about you, um, when I'm in the ground and a goal's been ruled out with the flags up, I get unreasonably annoyed with people not recognising that the flag's up and carrying yeah, on. Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing where you're having to go, he's literally got his flag up. <laughs> just look, it's not celebrated now, could you do my edit? How dare you have some joy. <laughs> um, Lukaku then has the ball in the net seven minutes into injury time. And <laughs> look, I'll say when the replay first comes up, and I, uh, as I referenced with the Matic one, you have the basic um, first thought. I I was convinced he's he's on site. Mm. Uh, I thought it was clear as day. Then it slowed down, and he's offside. And I guess it goes into what we were talking about last week. And I guess in the Liverpool in the uh, City Everton game, where we're talking about what is a handball and what isn't. I think Chelsea fans are very annoyed at where the line is drawn, if I'm not mistaken, Jack. Yeah, I think that is the main issue here. I think I said this, but the Jesse Lingard one against the Netherlands in the (laughs) (laughs) There it is. On the pod that this would happen. This is the defining line, pardon the pun. (laughs) Of where we Can are, I, Jack, you claimed that you claimed the line was bent. You said there was a curve in it when in the Lingard <laughs> one. Probably was at, at that stage. Whereas this one, that feels like such a reference point. I Jack's just, thoughts on the Lingard. Uh, well, Jack said it was like someone hadn't like used a tool for a straight line. It was like someone had just drawn a straight line. <laughs> um, I just, the fact that they, I feel it's. I've always said this with offsides, it should be clear and obvious. And I will mm. reference the same one because it's the one that sticks in my mind of the Milner versus West Ham, where he's about four yards offside. <laughs> That's what it was designed for. It's not. That was mental. If, like, I'll ask you the question, TK. If that's given, um, what are your thoughts? Are you yeah, no. If, if that gets given, I can't be coming out of this going, oh, they scored an offside goal. Yeah. You're a maniac if you do. Yeah. Do you not That's, think, Jack, the same as you've had Chelsea fans drawing their own lines today, within five minutes there would be Liverpool fans drawing lines in the exact same way, and maybe not TK would be on it, maybe it's me doing my job coming on saying, I'd be saying, well, look, there's screenshots that say Lukaku's offside. There's lines that are being drawn. I just don't... I don't see how you give this as offside. I don't, like, with the it's point, the fact that we, we still... There's, there's billions of pounds invested in the Premier League and we can't get a side on view. <laughs> Madness. Yeah, I, that's another thing. Can't they just employ some of the fucking? Pay some Olympic sprinter to just leg yeah. it up and down. Yeah. <laughs> employ someone just to run sideways as fast as he can next to the linesman or something. I mean, I just, I'm sure there should be some kind of technology that you can put in there. You put a chip in the ball or something, and the camera yeah. follows it. Oh well, yeah, or spider cam like that moves. One from above, enough. like you get in the NFL. Yeah, that moves quickly enough. The spider cam above the stadium kind of gets just a sideways one on a, on a trail. But even so, even with that, again, clear and obvious offside decisions, that's what I thought this was for. Yeah. And that is so tight. And they said they're going to 
give the advantage to the attackers this season, give the benefit of thicker lines or whatever. I just feel that you've got to draw it from the head or the feet, whichever's furthest forwards. You can't score with your arm. If, he, if Lukaku scores from the point... Well, Rodri's where, shown that you can use your arm, so I guess they were maybe being consistent, <laughs> which is all we asked for. But, you, but the Man City Wolves one, where I think yeah, he gets against Virginia, that's exactly the same as the Rodri one, and that was given. Yeah. I just think that if Lukaku goes and scores with the point of where that line is driven, uh, draws, yeah, yeah. is this allowed? If 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 Salah scores that, are you not coming on here today and saying, I've seen someone on Twitter show me the lines, he's offside. I don't care if it's millimetres, he's offside, it's offside. I've I've had it at games. Or... What, can you can you honestly say you wouldn't be saying that today? <laughs> yeah, because I've said that before, where we've had these goals given... Don't use logic, Jack, that doesn't work this. on here. And I've literally <laughs> sat there and said, fucking hell, we've got away with one there. Yeah. Because that, I keep the same line with this. Like the Matip one. No matter who. Yeah. That's, in my eyes, it should have been 1-1, really. But Van Dijk was at least more offside than Lukaku was. That's the only defence I'll give to it. He was clearly on the opposite side of Reese James, whereas this, he is so in line. I just can't... It's not like a, a last season offside decision yeah. where they didn't have the thicker lines and they were going off, you know, pretty much any body part, weren't they? Yeah. Um, which it, it seemed like they cleared up a lot of these, not perfect, but they cleared up a lot of them this year. Yeah. And this felt like a, a throwback to that where it, it totally if you wanted to be an ass about it, you could say like rules or whatever, and you could zoom in enough and find an angle that you wanted. But it, you kind of know what is offside and what isn't, I think, and that didn't look it. Is, is, I think is there any was so quick as well? That was the other thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the opposite of the check on Liverpool one. Where it kind of seemed to be this decision was being made based on speed, which I don't mind if that's the whole way in which you do the you run the game. But obviously, you've shown two different sort of ways of running the game there that don't, are a bit incongruous. Is, that is there any part of your TK that thinks Jack's stats on the Matip one was to maybe try and give him a free pass for the Lukaku one? <laughs> Just buttering us up. Is the Havertz one that we we later get is is again it's it's like the uh, Timo offside where it's pretty clear within the first few seconds of the replay you're like yeah okay fair enough that's offside. But say for yeah. example the ref gets that wrong, and then it is disallowed. I'd be sat there thinking you know what that was miles offside and the ref and the linesman missed it. It's not. I, I just never ever envisaged that we'd be given offsides for an elbow being a millimetre more forwards or something like that, because that's when it does become just farcical in my you eyes. You teed me up nicely, I feel like, Jack. Because, I feel, uh, feel umpire's call should be employed, just like I've said this before, like cricket, where if it's that close, you just stay with the on-field decision. Mm. Because they're, they're trying to avoid making the decisions, aren't they? They're cowards, these officials. <laughs> which 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 goes perfectly, Jack, because uh, you've teed it up. The refereeing display is the next thing I, I did want to talk about. Um, Trevor Chalabar has come out after the game and criticised Stuart Atwell for allowing Naby Keita's tackle to go unpunished during Chelsea's loss. Um, Chelsea were understandably furious. Uh, Keita wasn't even given a yellow card for his challenge on Chalabar in the They played advantage to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Keita misses the ball completely. His studs rake down the inner thigh of the Chelsea defender. That may be putting it nicely. Um, who then needs stitches 
to heal the wound. Um, Stuart Atwell did not ask to consult VAR over the challenge. After the game, Chalabar shared a clip of the tackle on Twitter with the caption, had to get stitches because of this. The referee is right there. I don't get it. Um, Jack, I, I actually thought we usually have the excuse of everything happened so fast. He wasn't in control and that's why there's a certain level of punishment. I actually thought this was more than reckless because Cater actually slows slows himself down and yeah. then manages to time it like that. So you don't even have the defense of like you slipped or it happened too fast. Like I, I don't see how you see this tackle and you arrive at this decision. No. And I, I, and I wanted Liverpool to win the game. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's not even a case where he's given a foul and no reds. He played advantage and Liverpool nearly scored from it. And I got your reaction because I sent you it after <laughs> after the game. <laughs> I just, it looked mental from where I was and it looks even worse on replay, but it just looks so bad. The stuff that we've seen red cards given for in the last couple of seasons, especially with VAR. Yeah. I, I just don't understand how week in, week out, we're still getting these I don't get how they've come to this decision. And it's unanimous as well. It's not even, it's, well, with the pundits, it's unanimous. It's not even as if it's a case of a great... Uh, it actually wasn't unanimous uh, with the pundits. Um, <laughs> Barry Neville on punditry said it was the right decision not to give a yellow card. Did he not then backtrack on that later on? Oh, I mean, after the game, they, they were all at it. I think Jimmy Floyd, they saw the look in his eyes and a lot of them crumbled around him, to be honest with you. <laughs> um but Neville part of the game say, was just going, listen, I think I like it. He's just letting it flow. So Neville was just up for leg breakers, I think, that day. I just, if, I, if Granite Xhaka made that tackle, he's not on the pitch. Oh, for sure. Absolutely not. I've, and it's such a pivotal time as well, isn't it? Like around 60 minutes. 58th minute. Yeah. But that half an hour with the game going the way it was and then extra time with 10 men, you, that's pivotal. For what it's worth, I was not against Cater being taken off the pitch. I was <laughs> not against that idea. I would have been, I was open to it. I, I thought the referee was, was poor all game, to be honest. It, it made for an entertaining contest, but <laughs> not getting your cards out doesn't mean you've officiated well, which commentators seem to believe. Not giving bookings means you're doing a good job as referee. If the tackles warrant that, and I, I won't just limit it to Cater, I thought Azpilicueta could have been booked early on. I thought uh, Alonso could have been booked as well for a cynical tackle. The referee really had to drag it out of himself to give Kovacic a booking in the 90th minute for what was a blatantly cynical tackle. And ruin that guy's bet. Poor man. Both sides ran. I thought Neville was just poor in general yesterday. It was like how I'd commentate a Spurs United match where I'm like, (laughs) just take each other out. Do whatever you've got to do. It was like, I mean, I think you pointed out, Tiki, didn't he have to be told what a goal kick was at some stage? He was uh, he was getting very carried away with the game. He was yeah, it was sort of more fan zone than, than commentary, um, and he would get excited when Chelsea did have a chance. He kind of he was trying to be objective, <laughs> and then he did show his hand a little bit. His um, I always think with him at times on comms, and it often makes for exciting commentary. In fairness to him, I thought this one wasn't his best performance, but you do see why it couldn't work out for him as a manager because he's so uh, entirely reactionary. Everything yeah. is just so all or nothing. Chelsea might give the ball away a couple of times he's like they're really sloppy now and you're like they've just had a spell of like 10 minutes of possession mate I mean calm it down a bit everything's so knee-jerk with him like I said it's fun but it's no, it's no good for a manager his reaction to the um, Lukaku goal that wasn't 
where <laughs> the, the, the goal goes in and he praises it for a second. Then the offside flag goes up and he goes into this tirade where he's just slagging Lukaku off, calling him lazy and saying there's no excuse for how off for you being offside there. No excuse. You blame it on yourself, blah, blah, blah. And then the first replay comes up and he backtracks and he's saying, okay, I mean, maybe... Uh, it, if he if he's not offside, then I take it back. It's a fantastic <laughs> goal, and then he immediately cuts to, well, look, he's offside, so he's really he's only a marginal offside makes him a disgrace. Yeah, and it wasn't like the Timo one, was it? Like that's one. If Lukaku was asked to make that run ten times, he's probably going to be more offside if he tries to kind of time it that close again. On face it, value, you'd say his time is a perfection. Yeah, he, yeah, I, I thought he was ju- he was just rubbish. It was just as you say, a guy who got caught up in the excitement, which is okay for us, I suppose. But when, you, when you're on, on there doing commentary, it perhaps doesn't work quite so well. Jack, I thought, I, if you watch that back, you'll be pulling your air out. Yeah, I thought Lukaku actually played really well when he came on. I thought he looked up for it. He was holding the ball up well. He was making an impact, which is what you'd expect someone who cost 100 million to be able to do. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I thought he did pretty well. Alex, um, we've not heard from you in a while. Red card for you? Nah. Nah, I don't think it's a red. Let it flow. <laughs> Let it flow. <laughs> Maybe out of shallow, but looking at that, Christ. <laughs> well, t- t- He's t- not t- that type of player. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tito's t- theory was if, if, if you get it, close enough to your crotch, then the the official actually just doesn't give the foul. They're a bit more lenient. They just they just don't seem to have any respect for like a shot to the nuts. They just seem to just think, right, get up. It was a bad, <laughs> it was a bad day for testicles all round yesterday. There was a few other nut shots in there that I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, you had one after Kepa's penalty. <laughs> Let's talk about the penalties. Um, speaking after the match, Tuchel said... We brought Kepper on for penalties before. He is slightly better at penalty saving, and that's why we did it. Sometimes these things can turn against you, but we took the decision for a reason. I just said in the dressing room that I hope nobody loses any sleep over it, because that's absolutely not necessary. We don't know what would have happened if we left Eddie on the pitch. No blame on Kepper. Blame me, as I'm the guy that takes the decisions. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. This is life as a football coach. Yeah, bang on. And... If you look at the stats of Kepler in penalty shootouts, he won his three penalty shootouts this season alone. Saved a penalty against Plymouth to get us through in like the last minute um, against them. He's won us previously, won a couple that I remember, three, uh, three penalty shootouts in the previous seasons also. He is good at saving penalties, is what he does. Um, he's not particularly good at taking them by the looks of it. But... <laughs> you would suggest that you can't really be relying on keepers. Like, if Callagher misses his penalty, no one's blaming him either. Obviously, it's going to be highlighted because he was brought on to do this job, but Kepa's record in penalties is pretty damn good. In Mendes, in penalties for us, isn't great. Is the thing and, not with that, the, is, the, is the sort of the data on that not slightly slanted by the fact that um, he is your cut keeper, so he's going to have more shootouts to play in. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? I kind of like, yeah, it was kind of like, if many had like an absolute, a history of having shot, like, like the Haya, for example. So, so the, the, I maths, get it. the maths on it 
Mendy has faced, I think, about 14 penalties since signing for us. And he's... I, can, I can give you his career stats right now. It, since uh, turning professional, he's faced 30 penalties and he's saved two. Exactly. So, right. But he has just that, won multiple shootouts in AFCON, hasn't he? He has, but plus he's, he saved one penalty in the final, um, which is good. But Kepa has multiple penalty saves this season alone. He is, that's what he's good at. Plus as well, you'll be doing it in training when you're practicing penalties. Mm. And you'll have one keeper that is better than the other. Um, there's been times where even I've done it when I'm playing for like Cheltenham or Forest Green where the other keeper is probably better than me, but I am much better at saving penalties. I was good at it. And they would bring me on for it sometimes, depending on where I was. And it, it's just, it's a clever move. Like no one was complaining when they did it in the Super Cup when he won it. For they us. were. They were. It was just one of them where it was, Okay, you better get you better win this because. Yeah, but he does well at penalties, and I don't blame him. He took his penalty like a goal kick, which was hilarious. Yeah, well, he even lined it up like. <laughs> yeah, um, but again, like I said, if you're, if, if you'd said to me before the game yesterday, it's going to be a brilliant game, and you're going to lose on penalties, losing eleven ten with your keeper missing the last one, I'd have probably said, you know what, fair enough. On the balance of things, yeah, but Kepa doesn't. Kepa doesn't really get close to saving a single penalty. He dares no. Van Dyke to hit one at him. Van Dyke hits it at him, and he still lets it in. Oh God! I still. Your record speaks for itself beforehand. <laughs> Apart from the Van Dyke one and the one. If, if you go on my records, though, you you play Lukaku over Havertz. It's very different when you're doing spot kicks, but like, actual dead ball situations where someone is starkly better than the other. You back yourself. And like I said, with previous um, penalty shots this season alone, winning three this season already for us, saving multiple, you'd back him to save it. The only penalties that he could have got anything on, really, was Canates, which he nearly did. No, the Van Dyke one is like um, when you, you switch keeper after you concede at school or you're playing in the park or whatever, and you complain because someone's kicking it too hard. Yeah. From too close. When he lets that in, you you can't dare a centre back to kick it that side, and he does, and you don't save it. Especially when you've been giving it stacks to every player, you've got to get near one of these. The Fabinho one, I mean, Jamie Redknapp called him a disgrace. <laughs> Jamie Redknapp was a dumb one, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. He said it's disgusting behaviour. He said. I think he um he's got a bit uh, excited by that Keane exchange, and just yeah. he's supposed to be like an angry guy now. It's like, Jay, that's not what you're supposed well, to Jimmy do. Jimmy Floyd tried settling him down, didn't he? And he was going, no, no, I'm not having it. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not having yeah, it. I don't know if he thinks that's his gig now, but Jamie, you're supposed to look a bit pretty and shut up. It's supposed to be, yeah, well, you're wrong. His shtick certainly isn't knowledge, so we're not going to no, help Exactly. Because there's a moment where he forgets Mendy's name and uh, Hasselbank has to jump in. Listen, if you were in the camp of, I don't know why managers do this, he was the last ally you needed because he made your argument just look suddenly so much less articulate. So, Jack, the, the general feeling around you when you see Kepa coming on, you're, you're saying there was no real questions amongst, it was, yeah, no. this is the right call. Yeah, it's, that was exactly it. Everyone was like, come on, Kepa. Because we've seen him win us these penalty shootouts before. He's, he's won us pretty much two penalty shots in this competition alone this season. It was just we knew. Say, he was 
everyone else in the world was saying, please concede in this one minute before penalties go in. Yeah, everyone was saying <laughs> that around us. Everyone said, I oh, just don't concede before the penalties. Would that have been a worse night at the office for him than what he ended up doing? It's tough, isn't it? That's a tough yeah, that <laughs> choice. Good, it's not good when people are referencing <laughs> Louis van Hal as the decision maker, as influencing this. It, he is TK, forever going you, to be the reference point. You shared a tweet saying, Lou Van Hal <laughs> subbing his keeper to win a World Cup shootout has a lot to answer for. What people forget is that Van Hal took off one matter for Nick Powell to try and keep United of the Champions League and put Phil Jones on corners. The man was unhinged. <laughs> yeah, Jack, I think it, it's a bad look for Tuchel because ultimately, as he said, the decision rests on his shoulders. It's a bad look for Kepa because effectively your selling point is I can save penalties Look, this is the time when you've got to save penalties. Um, it it's, it's a bad look for Mendy. When when Mendy and Mendy mm. does the cardinal sin that you don't do, you don't toot your own horn, particularly when it comes to winning these kind of awards, um, when it comes to Ballon d'Ors and things like that. I, I don't want to hear you putting yourself in the Ballon d'Or conversation when you're not trusted in a League Cup shootout. That is you must You must feel a bit mugged. 120 minutes of football and then like right we're getting into the nitty gritty now you've got to come off it must feel a bit weird the thing is I just, those penalties were good I mean I don't see there was a lot of good penalties I don't see Mendy doing any better than Kepler I just like maybe he could have don't get me wrong but there's an off chance different styles of keeping etc etc but I, I, I do think without, without being ruthless but if he's if penalties is your thing, and you're this confident guy that Kepa seems to be trying to present himself as, the Kamate one just has to go. You you yeah. have to save it. There's no two that, ways about it. It's a bad penalty. Yeah, no, I agree. And you have to close the show there because that's what you've been brought on for. You can't kick a field goal to win it either, <laughs> Jack. I know when it get when it gets to Kepa, what happens? And to be honest, it felt inevitable when it did get to him because it's just the way his Chelsea career has gone. Yeah. Um, in fact, Kepa kicked it like that fuck it, it's Kepa compilation that we used to see. <laughs> um, there must be a part of you and everyone around you. When you see Timo walking up for a penalty, I, I don't just... think any anyone, I think even Liverpool fans, even the most uh, pessimistic of uh, Liverpool fans thought, we're in with a chance here. Yeah, there was just a collective groan. It's like, oh no. Wasn't he like the ninth taker? I mean, his yeah. morale is just on the floor. The floor he was after, <laughs> he, he was one after Thiago Silva, I believe. <laughs> yeah. I had no doubt Thiago Silva was putting it home though. So the, the result. Brazilian, isn't they? That's what they mm. do. Um, yeah, ultimately, I, I see people saying, look, a game like that shouldn't be decided on a penalty shootout. I think a game like that, a penalty shootout and a keeper missing was probably the perfect way of summing, summing that game up. I'd have had a replay of that. Just It was such a good game. I don't trust Chelsea not to sink the place out. <laughs> Two quarters yeah. six at the back for the replay. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what he does the next time you're in a shootout. Yeah. Um, I think, I think he it. probably has to put Kepper on just to save face. I didn't, but then the whole thing is he's been your cup keeper and then he gets dropped for Mendy is just a, such a well, a psychological fuckery, isn't it? Where you're like, you were uh, really good, but we don't trust you that much to play. But now we do trust you to save pens. It's so much up and down. Come on to my next uh, for our final segment here, and that that's hindsight. Um, yeah. So so Jack, you you do that game again. 
uh, you get to the penalty shootouts, you're, you're confident in the decision that you, you can replay the penalty shootout, that Kepa's the one that goes in? I mean, if that's hindsight. And the beauty of it is... Well, that's, that's literally what we're doing here. I, I, know how it, I know how it ended, so I'd try something else if I knew. Is, is there not something... Kepa doesn't look very... Um, he's not a guy yeah he's that's that's the word yeah i don't look at him in between the sticks in the way that someone like cash michael to be honest i do when you're stepping up for a penalty and he looks like a big guy in there lawyer it was terrifying wasn't it yeah suddenly just started to fill the goal yeah it can sometimes be beneficial for complacency though where they don't feel like they have to hit the corners or they don't feel that I think that's the thing, though. Mm. The, the Liverpool players didn't feel like they had to hit the corners and they were still going in. Mm. And, yes. uh, did you not think as well there is an element of, uh, sort of going with the hot hand? With the, the game that Mendy's had, yeah. you go with the guy who's got the hot hand. I think that Liverpool is... players must be looking at him thinking, we're not getting past him today. Psychologically, that... when you're stepping up again, does that have an effect in the shootout, maybe? Yeah, it does. I think that is the only point where I'd say where I could question the decision because... I think as a cold calculated decision, I can understand it, but I think it feels like it doesn't take into account the context of the game. I yeah. think if I'm Kepper and I go in the changing rooms and people are blaming me, I tell them the game turned when Reese James shushed the crowd. <laughs> if I'm Reese James or Romelu or Jorginho, I'm pulling Kepper to one side and being like, mate, I've just been shushing the crowd. What the fuck are you doing? You're not saving yeah. one for me. That, that from Reese James, uh, Southgate has blood on his hands when he picked him over Trent. Because the ego <laughs> that man has now for a bloke who's a decent, he's a decent wing back. He's being flattered in the system he's in. As a right wing he back, he can't be attack. shushing the crowd. As a centre forward, I get it. What's that? He was our main attacking threat for before he got injured. However, what? you don't shush the crowd. I don't know if that's a compliment you think. No. <laughs> you don't shush the crowd. Jack said it was Chilwell last season, remember? Yeah. This is where the season's gone wrong. He ain't got Chilwell. But I'm saying that I said he was our most uh, important signing, and this season we've been proven right. We've been absolute dog shit since he did his ACL. Well, I think just um, I do have one more question after this. Um, when we did our Club World Cup segment, you made a big thing about Tuchel has at least got to the final of every tournament he's competed in. Could when these final when these final losses start totting up, I think we might have to start having a look at. Uh, Tuchel himself, you know, maybe has a bit of bottle gene about him. I mean, he's what has he done? He's won three, lost two. Uh, I'm not sure we give him the Champions League. I think we take that from Pep. He's only got fifty percent, even if he does, because he's fifty Lampard. Remember, fifty percent lamp. We've clarified before. Chelsea don't win things anyway; they buy things. Well, I'm mean, trying that lately, and it, it's not—it's not been working. I think if we compare problem. his percentage to Arteta, a man who's got 100, <laughs> percent then no, I think at this this one is at Tuchel's feet, and so we can't be giving him the praise when the Champions League comes in, but put it all on Kepa when this goes against him. I think. Maybe Chelsea just don't have the spirit in them when it gets to a cup final. When when it really starts going against them, they don't have Drogba to lean on. Do they have the steel? 
I mean, you're not going to get the rise that you're trying to get. It was a brilliant game to go on either way, and it had to go one way, and it didn't go us. And I. Jack, you messaged me earlier saying that Chelsea are cheated in cup finals. This is the point we're getting at here. There is that. There's dumb officials. It's been the barest of margins that we've lost a lot. Jesus Christ, man. Like, like millimetres that literally, if you consider the last ones of the shambles of Anthony Taylor against Arsenal. A A game where there was nothing wrong. Kovacic on a booking and he starts jumping in with his studs up. The cup final before that, Victor Moses on a booking and decides to throw himself to the floor in the box. I mean, these are all perfectly reasonable things that you should probably just not do in a cup the, final. Uh, the Arsenal handball from the 2017 one was just a sh- just shameful refereeing. But it is what it is. It was counteracted by Murtisaka being at the other end. <laughs> I have got to the bottom of the official situation, though. By the way, it's They've re- they're actually the officials are actually acting in our best interest. It's a sort of like a a fan of balancing act that they're doing because I've been told from everything I've heard, Arsenal and Chelsea would have won everything if it weren't for the officials. So they're just giving the rest of us a chance. You know what, Jack? I, I agree with you. Yeah. If it weren't for those officials, Arsenal and Chelsea just clean up. So the rest of us have nothing to eat. I did um, before we move on uh, message Jack last night. I would like to declare myself for the time being. Um, the Arteta Express is uh, back in motion. <laughs> <laughs> Officially back on. We're back on. Um, I'm going to the barbers tomorrow and I'm going to ask for the Arteta. They're going to have to give me a perm on <laughs> top of my hair. The Lego head. <laughs> I think you're being disrespectful there. Look. Nine I can't weeks. wait. I can't wait to see where the next stop is on this express. <laughs> Will it come to Shinner and Holt? Who knows? Watford away next Sunday and uh, I don't like that two o'clock slot on a Sunday as it is um, but after seeing what they've just done to United tricky times ahead Roy um, versus Arteta be one for the purists won't it Oof. well it's a big one for me that because uh, yeah do I let anything get in the way yeah my uh, Roy prop <laughs> TK should Kelleher have started yesterday easy to say after the fact I know um, do you, did you think going in it was the right call I thought it probably was because he'd shown us enough that he's he's good enough that he yeah. he hasn't made a mistake yet. The whole thing with the cup keeper, say because we previously obviously had it with like Adrian for example, and he's shown you he's got a rookie. So you go <laughs> right. I'm not paying him in a fucking final. That's just not not against Chelsea. Um, whereas Keller hasn't yet shown us, so I think he's worth the benefit of the doubt. He uh, I won't overlook the fact that he also doesn't save a penalty. No, <laughs> he does score one though, so I, I do acknowledge he. I, I do. It allow was a him nice pen as well. Nice pen. It was. I like the commentator saying, "Did was that from your days as a kid when you were a striker?" He's like, "Well, I was just trying to kick kick it on target." <laughs> I was worried for him because he doesn't convince when the ball's at his feet generally. So well, he half expect- maybe just don't put your laces through it. it was I was half expecting Verge to take all kicks for him during the game. Hasselbank, as in his criticism of Kepa, saying, oh, maybe I wouldn't have put my laces through it. I wouldn't have advised him to take a penalty <laughs> like that. Um, Jack I actually finally... do blame Kepa more than Tuchel, by the way. 
I know Tuchel has to take the the role because he's he's a manager and he's saying I'm taking responsibility. But if the whole thing was this is the plan, this is set out, I think you've got to end plan. But it's the pre-agreed thing is that this is going to happen. This isn't like Tuchel sprung it upon him. So therefore, it then becomes a situation where you go, well, it's over to you then. At that stage, I, I know it's harsh, but it's the, it to me probably like- the. If Spurs had been subbing on Jorelio Gomez for a penalty shootout, when 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 you've got enough proof that this keeper's a bum, don't give him any more opportunities to prove it. He's a, I back. I, I second that. It just felt like they played sort of every card in the psychological playbook. It just didn't quite work out with the putting him on, him trying to spook the takers, shooting the crowd, and it did all the right things, but it just didn't. It just didn't quite work. Out. By the way, though. If he if Kepper is this penalty stopper that he's made out to be, how good must Caballero be? Because sorry, I didn't really call for Kepper. He must be absolute mustard at penalties. The true mentality monster. Look, I I think the thing we take away of uh, maybe if all these Liverpool players are such good at penalty shootouts, I think Hendo should have been uh, forcing himself to stay on in the Euros, step up and take one himself. No, he's a. Uh... He should never see a penalty again. <laughs> um, Jack, just finally, should Lukaku have started? Uh, no, I, I still have. It's created some great chances. They just weren't. Okay. All right, let's move on, Jack, to another guy that you know plenty about. Um, after beating Man City three-two, Spurs did then go full Spursy and lost one-nil to Burnley at Turf Moor. Um, Conte then caused carnage in his post-match interviews and press conference on Wednesday night, <laughs> openly questioned himself and whether he was the right man for the job. Um, typically at Spurs, when he's lashed out, he's focused more on the players or the issues such as the club's recruitment. But this time he said, it's not only tonight, in the last five games we've lost four. It means there'll be an assessment about the club and about me. He said, for me, it's very frustrating to lose four games in five. For sure, the situation is this. The situation is clear. I'm really sorry for the fans. They don't deserve this. Beg to disagree. Um, but when you lose four games in the last five, it means the club has to make an assessment to speak together to understand what is the best solution. The players are always the same. The club has changed coaches, but the players are always the same and the results don't change. It's not right. It's not good for anybody to continue to lose. I can't accept this. It's not good for anyone. I have to talk to the club. I want to take my responsibility. I'm open to every decision because I want to help Tottenham. From the first day I arrived here, I want to help Tottenham. I'm too honest to close my eyes and continue in this way and also to take my salary. It's not right in this moment. Uh, We need to make an assessment. I'm trying to do everything to change the situation, but the situation is not changing. Maybe I'm not so good. I'm too honest to close my eyes and continue in this way and take my salary. So the next day, The Athletic did their standard think piece, and they say well-placed sources close to the club were pretty much unanimous on Thursday that they can't see Conte still being in charge at Tottenham next season. Alex, um, you lose 1-0 to Burnley. You're uh, unhappy enough as it is, I would imagine. You then see these quotes start coming out of the press conference, and I can't imagine that does your blood pressure any good either. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, I on Friday, one of my colleagues asked me, "Oh, who Spurs got this weekend?" And I just turned and looked at him and went, 
Does it matter? <laughs> Did you add Leeds a, a free hit? <laughs> it's just like it doesn't really matter who we've got because anything can happen. Like, um, yeah, it did get my blood pressure up. I, with what, to be honest though, I'm not surprised. Like, considering what happened only the week before that, and then the week before that, and over the transfer window and Conte track record wise, I, I can't say I was surprised. I expected some form of backlash after the match of him coming out in his passionate Italian way and running his mouth. Um, it is what it is. TK, I'll ask you first of all, why, why does he keep doing this? I think that's the most important question um, because it probably centres around whether he's played a Mourinho-style game of politics or whether he literally just can't keep his emotions in check. I think it's literally that now. I think um, we've gone from he's been doing some of this to get to get a reaction to I think you're getting a guy who is giving a genuine response to it, emotional response. Kind of like, look, if we got you straight on the pod after an Arsenal loss, <laughs> you'd be saying some wild things. If people thought you were a bit emotional... before and Alex uh, ruined it. If we thought you were emotional on the Monday, they should see you on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> um, I think this is what you're getting. And I think you're getting a guy who isn't used to be in this situation, doesn't know what to do, and is coming apart at the seams in front of us. I personally think, I think this is... We're seeing right through it. He's being... Like that interview I thought was petulant and kind of like a kid who will be buzzing when they win, i.e. the City game. Yeah. And a little brat when they lose, i.e. the Burnley one. I think you'll get on both sides of him. So, Jack, this this is obviously very familiar to you. Um, I, I found a quote from after Conte won the FA Cup with Chelsea. If you can recall, um, he was immediately questioned about his future and we know he didn't continue after that. I believe William cut him out of his Instagram post, which was a big uh, point of conversation. Um, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. He, he was asked whether he could have dealt with difference, uh, with certain situations differently when it came to um, getting rid of Diego Costa and various other things. And he said, it's not simple to answer this question. When you decide to take a coach like me, you must know who you are taking and who you are charging for this job. As I said before, I can't change my personality and I cannot change my idea of football. So I guess, Jack, to, to paraphrase him, on Tuesday lunchtime, he was basking in the glory of uh, beating Man City. He called these players among the best he's ever worked with. By Wednesday evening, the results are always the same with these players, no matter what he or any coach might do it does look particularly bad when he's come out to bat for his players and then, <laughs> immediately, and then immediately retires um it is straight out of the content playbook it's interesting because when you listen to when he's a manager in italy and he's a lot more obviously articulate when he's speaking italian it's just the same it's just the same trail it's just as frank has his interview style it's the same with content. Like, oh, these, uh, these are players that must suffer. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then just loads of us, and then just tries to shove out a few words for, this, for a soundbite. He does throw his toys out the pram, and we know how emotional he is when you see him jumping around on the touchline. Um, yeah. so he must be doing the exact opposite of that inside his own head when he loses. <laughs> He's still uh, paying the price for shushing the Southampton bench. Yeah. Um, in in his head, he must go to some really dark. Are we seeing the death of Shushin? Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I just, we know what you get with Conte. You back him, he'll win you something. If you don't, he'll be off. And it's as simple as that. It's funny because he's so on his knees to be sacked. <laughs> Give me this payoff now. Yeah, yeah. So nobody told me it's just difficult. It, it's interesting. Yeah, but it's so. It, it, it's, it's the the thing is though. It's so it's so bipolar because even but I was surprised to see the outcome. Uh, apparently, he's had a meeting with the board and he's come out more dedicated than ever. And it's just like, well, what the hell's going on? Like, if you look at like, I mean, there's no way. That was always going to happen when you but, beat Leeds. Yeah, there was no way. There's no way that. Lee, um, Levy likes working with this guy. If he is the, you know, the the accountant guy, he's going to be looking at this and going, "I can't handle this. I can't be dealing with this." There's no way. Like, I mean, Mourinho was more composed than this, for Christ's sake. I mean, I don't. I do wonder yeah, with Conte a bit longer to start this. Yeah, 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 for sure. But <laughs> even when, he, even when, he even when, even when he did start it, is it, it wasn't as like high and then low it wasn't near sorry one like far right and then far left as this is it's just started with Deli like Ali, it? it wasn't even the whole it, squad he just singled out Deli Ali first and then went from there yeah I do right. wonder I do wonder with him whether it is an element of covering his back um with what he's saying as well in terms of if he talks like he the way he does after a loss like that People look at him from the outside and go, "He's not the one to blame." Um, yeah, of course, and then, and, it, and then, so whether it's an element of theatrics just to cover his own backs in a more <sighs> exaggerated way than other managers would do it, um, or whether it is just genuine emotion, I'm not well, sure. Got another quote from that athletic article, and they say. Um, Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy is understood to have been frustrated by Conte's comments last week, questioning the club's transfer policy, including describing January as not easy. And the head coach revealed that he'd been subsequently asked not to do any more interviews with Italian media. That's something Jack can probably identify with. Um, so it's worth mentioning as well how invested Levy is in making this appointment work, especially given what's happened with the previous two managerial hires. Pochettino's replacement, Mourinho, and then uh, Nuno Santo. They say one source who knows Levy very well says he'd be crestfallen were his latest big gambit fail to deliver two. Um, Paratici is supposedly, he believes the team's struggles are entirely down to the mentality of the squad and nothing to do with Conte. Well, I mean, you can't. I, I think that's the more logical of the two the two options right now in terms of uh, just based on the basis that the players have been there for longer look at that stable of players now and the managers that they've been through in the last few years and they are the ones who haven't been able to get over the line they've brought in managers with proven winning winning pedigree excluding one or two in fact two um and they haven't managed to get it over the line. We've tried different systems, some good, some not so flattering, but, you know, got some results yeah. to a certain extent. It's just that consistency. So I, I would put the emphasis definitely on the players rather than the manager at the moment. If, if you compare it with Mourinho, Alex, so everything Jose said, you could almost read the subtext beneath it in that he was angling for more money to be spent. He was angling for more power to be recognised as like a manager rather than a head coach and so on. 
do you think with Conte, the fact that there doesn't really appear to be a common theme and it is so flip-flop, that it is just a guy who's reacting like any of us would? Um, I think when Neville, and I still don't think he was entirely correct, when he was saying why United wouldn't go for Conte, he just, he said that he was too emotional for that position and United wouldn't be able to put up with it. Is that not exactly what we're getting? It's like a fan as manager, and that doesn't really work when these players not, don't not know how for, to react to a guy like that, do they? No, not for. I don't think it. I don't think it works if you're looking at building a consistent future for the team. I mean, say, say if he wins, say if he goes and wins the FA Cup with us this season but we don't go anywhere in the league, really. We don't get European, we don't get Champions League football. We don't get Europa League football. Um, I don't see him sticking around just on the basis of what I think we need is we need like a permanent step forward, a permanent progression onto the onto a high level of where we're consistently challenging for silverware in a reliable fashion. I just don't, I, I at the moment, I'm seeing he's a guy of temporary flair that can maybe get you over the line, which, you know, he might do with the FA Cup. You never know. Um, I've got a question for you about that. So when the deal was made and we heard the terms of the deal, uh, initially we were all thinking, okay, obviously Spurs are going to want to keep him for a second year, but it's probably going to be Conte is going to see if he has any other better offers. Mm. Is there a chance that Spurs perhaps now start looking and, all we hear about is that United are looking at Poch. Any chance the Spurs start looking to Poch in the summer and maybe try and beat United to him? 100%. And I reckon they probably started two weeks ago. TK, the, who would who would Poch choose? Uh, uh, Poch would go to United. Yeah. Yeah, he de- he, I'm pretty sure he would. <laughs> I'd be amazed if anyone chooses to go back and work with Levy. That would be, that would be quite something. Um... I think, so, I, I, ironically, I think if Poch does end up at United, I think um, I think he's the only sort of, I think that's the only potential pathway to for Kane to leave Tottenham as well. I think if United have got the, you know, yeah. the, I, I don't see City coming back in for Kane now and I don't see any other clubs really coming in for Kane anywhere from outside of the league or inside the league apart from United in a scenario where Pochettino comes in and says, I want my man. So. If I told you now that Spurs are further away from Champions League football than they were with Nuno? Uh, disagree with that. Well, uh, no, no, not quite literally. I still dis- disagree no, with like, that. Points-wise, you're further away from the top four than you were with uh, yeah, Nuno but, in charge. Yeah, but reflect that's... Um, you could argue that you know that's very early stages of the season versus yeah. later in the game. It's not a fair comparison at all, particularly when we were criticising Nuno for the manner of which he was winning games in terms of he couldn't keep that up. So, How much criticism would Nuno get for these results? Uh, I think he would have been... Well, I've been sacked. Nuno went had <laughs> four losses in five games. We've seen what happens if he got these losses, he got sacked. Luckily, he, beat, he beat City and he lost his other games. Yeah, and, and luckily for Nuno, and luckily for Nuno, he doesn't come with the profile of Conte. At least with Conte, he's got some winning pedigree behind him. He's got a level of status that Nuno doesn't. So, and there was, I don't know, it, his Conte's football. We've had some games of where we look like we, you know, 
can potentially go and do something versus under Nuno, it was not pretty at all. Is, is Spurs becoming a free hit as a manager? Because no matter how badly it goes, you can say the players don't have the mentality and you just hope for the better. Conte's not going to struggle for a next job when he leaves Spurs. No, definitely not. He could never lose. He could never win another game in a Spurs shirt in a Spurs uh, dugout again, and his his legacy takes no hit. I don't think. No, I he just I gets pinned on Spurs. I, I don't disagree with that statement at all. If the hierarchy at Tottenham, Levy carries on the way he is with the way he's managing, making decisions, if he's in the picture at all, I think that is a completely fair comment to make. We if Levy's are, given you a squad capable of beating City, he's given you a squad capable of beating Burnley. Yeah, we're not blaming Daniel Levy for you losing to Burnley. No, no. I'm what I'm saying is, well, that that's not the problem though, is it? We we've got as a squad, we many people have said Conte's we've got saying the squad isn't good we, enough. The, the problem, the problem, yeah. In a certain manner, the squad is more than good enough to go and win the games that we need to go and win in terms of the players' raw ability. What the criticism is, it's the reliability from a mentality point of view consistency to go out and win the games that we need to back to back to get us over the line, whether it's a cup final knockout stage or whether it's... manager not to get that out of them. So we yeah. do. To an extent. I'm all, I'm all for the players needing to push themselves, but it, it has to be a bit. Yeah. yeah, but it comes down to the players as well. You know it's a 50-50 package that a manager... does come down to the players and I think you can't possibly not get top four. For <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh dear! Touch wood after Wednesday's result. After Wednesday's shenanigans, actually, it'd be, in- <laughs> it'd be interesting how quickly you depart that Arteta Express if you don't get top four. Oh god! What? What? Yeah. I, yeah. What? What? I think I don't. We don't need to go into this too deep because it's obviously the topic is talking about Conte's comments. But I think just to try and summarising it quickly, what I, my criticism towards Levy is that the culture at the club, the the feeling must be of some form of comfort that there isn't enough drive, there isn't enough like light, like that combination of fear that if they don't get the, if they don't win, they're going to get, they're going to be on the chopping block effectively. That, that ruthlessness that like, you know, you're, you prime Alex Ferguson's, you Jose Mourinho in the early days at Chelsea. That's management doesn't work anymore. And, and, and Arsene Wenger, you, you know, he builds a cult. He builds a culture in a team where it's win or win or die. You know, I with these Tottenham players at the moment, the culture that they're living in, it seems to be win sometimes in a great way and get excited, but when they don't, oh, it's all right. Something that I think um, is probably goes in Conte's favour here is when we talk about the culture these managers set. The, the real way the culture was set by getting rid and starting scratch. They they didn't change the mentality of a 28-man squad that was already there. They got rid of the majority of them and brought in the players that they thought could could match that. And so maybe that's, that's why Conte has a point. That is a fair comment. That is a fair comment. And we are getting to the point with this Tottenham squad now of where, all right, it's a great, on paper, it's a great stable of players. There's some players that can definitely get you over the line oh, in matches. There's lots of talent. But they're now starting to lose that label when you look at them as a players that haven't really achieved anything or haven't, well, they haven't, they haven't won anything. So it's, it's kind of like, is it, is it a batch that's just a bit stale now, stagnant that isn't going to really go anywhere? And maybe we do need to sort of let some of these players go and look at gutting the gut. I mean, like I know, 
to draw comparison to Arsenal at the moment, you look what's happened over there. I know we made fun of them in terms of not making any signs in January and gutting the squad. Well, not gutting it, but continually offloading in their squad. I mean, you look what they're left with. It's a nicer looking. Suarez a right back. It's a it's a nicer looking. It's a nice. It's a nicer bucking. It's a it's a nicer oh. French. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's going on in that training ground? <laughs> no wonder the results have picked up. Morale's high. It's a it's a nicer it's a nicer looking bunch of players from at least the mentality point of view than ours currently in terms of. It, yeah, just nicer looking bunch. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Um, they are this, 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 this is what makes it. Um, I do think this is what makes Conte's comments look so erratic and ridiculous, though, that you're saying this in February. What are you talking about in terms of the squad or whatever? When you've just had a window where you did bring in some players, you definitely wouldn't have been promised anything in January because Levy isn't going to do that. So presumably no. you're taking a job potentially based on the only way Levy could have lied to you is if he said, right, I'll give you money in the summer. So there's no point in doing all this shite now. You just got to get through it. And it's just... At, yeah. at Chelsea, even with an emotional outburst, I could feel like there was a, a point to what he was doing. It was lo- like you just said about Jose, where there's subtext to what he's doing. You can see the agenda. With this, I think it's just erratic and it becomes, it looks like, yeah, a guy just being overly emotional. And if that's your manager, as a player, I, I don't know how that, what that's going to do for you. Keeps saying, I, don't, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't so quickly rule out what was promised to Conte to get him over the line in managing us. I I. I well, that, I didn't because for we, a second oh, think he was told I'll give you a, a war chest quote unquote in January I don't believe that has anyone seen the film by M. Night Shyamalan where those people go to that health resort and they age quicker yeah old. I've not seen it but I know the context I, I feel like Spurs is basically that health resort it's a presidential term isn't it the Spurs yeah, job. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you get um, Jose's third season syndrome in halfway through season two <laughs> and then you get Conte's second season syndrome six months into his job so it just speeds up the lifespan of these managers because of the um, situation there is yeah, just going back onto the January Trinity you're saying that like TK you were saying that like there's no way he was guaranteed a war trust I mean it was plainly obvious that we were going in for Adama Traore and Diaz which are two big massive signings for us so uh, he was de- they were definitely he might be pissed de- off about that yeah his argument keeps being we br- we only brought in two and we got rid of four. Like he'd be he'd be much happier if he had Brian Gill and Don Bele, Lacelso, mm. whoever else he got rid of. Like he and he's definitely kind of briefed that to others because um, Del Piero did an interview with him uh, that cursed Italian TV again, and they asked him about the job that Conte was doing, and he said. No, I think he's doing a good job of what he has, but um, they did weaken his side because they only bought two players in January and they got rid of four. And it's like, good we PR. need some context to this. Because the players you got rid of, um, Alex, if, if you were offered a non-belly back now, you taking him? Uh, oh, maybe the wrong person to ask. <laughs> if you ask Conte that question, I know the answer he's given. Um, <laughs> this shouldn't be a consideration. No, it shouldn't. Uh, I don't know if, if it helps if I change LaSalle, the, uh, the question to LaCelso or Brian Delhi. Gill. Like, yeah, Delhi Ali. <laughs> who, yeah, let's be thankful, Alex. You, you've just played Leeds, who are the biggest free hits in the league. Um, you've got Everton next, so you, you, you should be able to get a nice two wins back to back. And uh, look, everything will be rosy for Conte again. 
<laughs> don't you because dare. It, it, it was, I mean, to, this is the best group of players I've ever worked with. Again. Well, let's be honest, TK. They've got the most lethal strike partnership in Premier League history. Nothing yeah, to show for it. Isn't it? It's bad, isn't it? Every time. It, but, um, I, 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 it's bad, isn't it, that that's probably the, statistically the best partnership in Premier League history and they've done nothing with it. A lot of it, it is the, the, one of them moved on. Um, they probably played less games together. Or more players were chipping in and they won trophies with it. So it's but it's, but it's yeah, also a, a it's also a colossal misuse of their two world class players that they just have never built around in the end. They they were on the precipice under Poch. Not sure. And they decide class. They decide if he's not, he's borderline, is it? At the, yeah. at the very yeah. least on his worst day. And then level Smith Rowe, maybe. <laughs> And, and they they twisted when they could have stuck with Poch. And people thought I was the right thing at the time. But every decision they've made since has been a colossal Alex bad celebrated. One. And it looks like this might be. Don't forget that. Alex celebrated the Poch sacking. I, I, I did. That. I didn't celebrate. I was you celebrated, glad. Alex. You celebrated Jose. And you had a party I, after. I, ce- I did. I did celebrate Jose, but there's. I did not celebrate Pochettino going. All right, I'll, I'll, I was more, I was more, on. I was more angry at the players than I was at Pochettino. By a, oh, in fact, I wasn't angry at Pochettino. I was uh, like fuming at the players. Ollie Holt said, you, "I was a documentary." Ollie, Ollie Holt said, "You have to praise him like he should." <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, just to close out our football for the day, um, Leeds did suffer a four-nil defeat to Tottenham Hotspur at Ellen Road. Um, after they were beaten 6-0 at Anfield by Liverpool on Wednesday. Losing to Spurs was understandably the last straw for those in command at Leeds, and Bielsa was sacked. Um, Jesse Marsh is, well, he's been announced this evening, um, and he'll now be hoping to keep Leeds in the Premier League. If we could just do some reflecting on Bielsa and uh, whether sacking him was the right move. The first thing, and TKR, I don't know if you can provide any context on this. I was reading that his departure has been particularly complicated because he's got a really complex contract and he actually pays the backroom staff himself. Do you know anything about this? I remember seeing something about this a little while back that was, yeah, like you said, there was a complexity to it. Um, I, I don't Bizarre. see that. that sh- yeah, yeah. I remember thinking this is an odd. <laughs> the whole thing is a little bit of an odd set, though, isn't it? Um, a bit unique. I, I, like I don't they- see that. Sacking should be an issue, though. No, I don't, is it like they give him more money and they <laughs> maybe let him like dole out? I it's, don't like know how it works. it's like he's a subcontractor. Yeah. He's just <laughs> doing it out. Um, so, kind of, if we look at how we got to this point, um, injuries obviously were a huge burden on Leeds um, without Bamford and Calvin Phillips in particular. But the, the, the sources around the club say that as the injuries got worse and worse and the pressure intensified, they started playing their famed murder ball more times a week. (laughs) It was no longer limited to just one session a week. And so he wondered why the injuries were then piling up. I'm not surprised if the players are knackered. Um, He was offered multiple additions in January on loan. They weren't prepared to sanction any permanent deals. Um, and he turned them away. Uh, they supposedly had a first refusal on Donny van der Beek, who United would have loved to put into Bielsa's system. Uh, but Bielsa knocked them back uh, in a month where they conceded 20 goals 
he insisted behind the scenes that if anything he was more wedded to his tactics than ever before um, despite the players saying they were exhausted by the pressure of a system that no longer functioned consistently if, if we look at his style of football and everything to it effectively it works if every player on the pitch wins their 1v1 duels which is difficult to pull off in the championship if you have like one injury and I remember TK we, we criticised Arteta for this um, a number of months back about everything having to be perfect to get the result you mm. need your perfect start in 11 the referee has to be spot on the fans everything if you're fighting in a position they are and you're relying on perfection and not just gritting things out, it was always going to get to this point, was it not? Yeah, and they have had no luck with injuries and whatever. Once you have your best player in Calvin Phillips and your top goal scorer in Bamford, basically missing pretty much the whole season in Bamford, hasn't it? To yeah. all intents and purposes. You've, I think you've got to know that there's got to be a bit of a change. The thing I don't get with him, there's no... Like moderation, so he's either a god or he's trash. He's probably just quite good, and the same with his system. Everything has either got to be murderable or right. We're parking about, we're not having any possession. We're just sitting back, sitting in ten behind the ball. And it's like the idea that there can't be some sort of mesh somewhere in the middle of this just seems baffling to me. The idea that you wouldn't just adjust just a little bit. And I know there's the the association that Leeds are a big club, but you're a relegating. You're a relegation battling team. You're not a good team. So you've got to know where you're at. They say behind the scenes, there was no point in challenging him on any of his principles. I can imagine. Challenging his principles was the equivalent of telling him that he had, you had no faith in him anymore and you were nudging him out the door. They say that questioning him on his principles would probably have forced him to resign. Um, the football, I heard all the pundits in the last couple of days saying, Look, at a perfect game for the neutrals to watch. If I see Leeds are on TV, I'm going to sit down and watch them. I don't think that's true this season. If I was told this season that there's been five goals in a Leeds match, in a Leeds match I'll assume it's 4-1. <laughs> They've not been entertaining to watch since last season, which, in fairness, they finished ninth last season, two points behind Arsenal. Mm. But their last clean sheet was at home to Crystal Palace in November. The, the eye really- test didn't... We've referenced XG, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've referenced XG this episode. If we go back to the eye test, what we were built on, they don't pass the eye test anymore. They they don't like an attacking machine. I mean, United made them look like it for what two minutes, <laughs> but there's only so much you can do to compensate for conceding four goals a game, and it's just never. It's, you're never going to get by that way in the Premier League. The ironic thing is about the, sort of the the mystique around him kind of probably put more pressure on him and on Leeds, but also kind of elongated his time in the job. Yeah, if if a Brendan team started doing this, for example, he'd be battered and he'd be straight out of there. Because we would be going, right, you yeah. can't be shipping four goals a game. If Eddie Howe did this, go. imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. So his, the whole thing with him, yeah, is probably an unfair level to which sometimes he was held to. But then on the flip side, yeah, the whole thing with the uh, the influence thing is interesting as well. We just consider there's so many, I don't know, like musicians and whatever who like reference someone as an influence on them, but they're far better than that. Ask you United how that worked out with a with a big influence in charge. Wow, and Rangnick is going to quickly potentially become 
that, where you're going to have people like Klopp and Tuchel have referenced him before as a influencer there. And that's kind of half of what his CV's built on. Yeah, well, people say about Hasenhutl. I'd rather have Hasenhutl than Ralph Rangnick. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So they're quickly, you know, it's going to go one way or the other with them. They're going to find either there's a reason Klopp and Tuchel rate him so highly or he's got good ideas, but he isn't the guy. And I think that's probably a fair bit of Bielsa's ideas know, are fun, he's interesting, but not conducive to being a, a top manager. I know Victor Orta and Jesse Marsh are pretty pally as well, so that's obviously tied into how they've got him through the door this quickly. Um, Jack, when Leeds are so wedded to their principles in the way that they are, is it? can you afford to be sacking a manager with, what, I think they've got like 12 games left to play? I think it's... It's mental, really, because you'd have backed Bielsa really to get his players back. Because you're going to now have a new manager. I'm supposing that they're going to play slightly differently, like you just said, wedded to their principles. They're yeah. built to play this mental style. They're not going to be Jesse built. Marsh is a guy who, who, who is plays, well, he's brought in to play attractive football. Leverkusen brought him in um, to be Nagelsmann's successor, and they thought it would be. A, f- a fairly simple transition. Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. sorry, Leipzig. Yeah, you'd have thought that... I, I just can't see them staying up. And the problem is as well with that is that the trials and tribulations of going back down into the championship, if they're struggling with they injuries should. now and struggling to get everyone fit, they're going to struggle even more by playing more games. Um, but you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you can't revert to another system because you've got an entire squad built for one purpose and one purpose only by the looks of it. That's just to run around like headless chickens and that's Did anyone much... see did you see Paul Merson's comments on Saturday after the game? What did he say? He he said he said the fans have got to have a little look in the mirror about this. He said anytime your team loses six nil and you're clapping them off. Have a word be yourself. <laughs> he said you're chatting the manager's name after he's just conceded ten goals in a week. He said, what are you doing? He said, if I, he said, if we lost 4-0 to Spurs, then the team's like clapping me off. I'd think, what the hell's gone on here? Who are they clapping? Then there is also a certain thing of, we do appear to be telling Leeds fans what they should want. And ultimately, if they think, I will stick with this guy, play this way, and if we go down, we go down. Listen, I don't necessarily think I would agree with it, but that's on you, isn't it? I, I don't would care. Would you clop Liverpool off if they lost 6-0? Was that an intended partner? or? <laughs> Oh, he's a cloth and says a clap. Oh. <laughs> no. Freudian no. slip, I call it. I just mean he—he's done a lot more to to warrant the support. Obviously, yeah, yeah. If you, if you lose six nil to okay, maybe not United. If if you lose six nil to Spurs, you you clapping them off? I, no, no, you're not. Of course, and it's it's tricky, that, isn't it? Because I can just say well, different expectations. But if you were to say, you know we were doing this, losing often and falling into mid-table mediocrity, for example, would be the equivalent. You would start to go, well, what the hell is he doing, wouldn't you? But there's, I do think there is something to to what they're saying, that we came into this league, tried to play a certain way, we're entertaining, like you said, last year. I think I've been in parts this year, but again, probably because you conceded a lot, it's entertaining for us. But there is something a bit more to that than just trying to stay in the league, back to the wall and being shy. And just about scraping in. So I do think there's a balance to be struck between the two. But I do get if you were to go a black and white choice of would you rather do this 
a risk going down. I can see why you'd want it. I don't know why once you start losing the games like they have, I think the writing's on the wall. So I'm not quite sure why they kind of stayed on the Titanic quite as long as they did. So but I do kind of, I do get the point they're making. I would liken it to a similar situation with um, a point at the time when Hutton got sacked by Brighton. I said everybody was in arm, up in arms about this, except for one group, Brighton fans. And they were like, we don't want to see this shite football where he aims for 17th each year. We want to see us have a bit more of a go. In their case, it worked out with Potter. So it's, uh, you know, as much as you might think Leeds fans are a bit mad, we're kind of telling them what they should want for their own club. Well, I did see also that Bielsa does actually have a run like this every single season. Every year of, I think it's the last six years, He's had a run of eight games with an identical record. Played yeah, eight, all... one, two, drawn one, lost five. This fucked. year, <laughs> this year, played nine, one, two, drawn one, lost six. So, one more game, one more loss. Each each time he's turned it around, but I, I don't know. I, this I think... felt terminal, didn't it? I don't think he. I yeah, don't think I... he was turning around. I... I think they'd have gone down. I would liken it to um, you. You can recognise things aren't working, and then it probably like. With Wenger, you can complain about him, and then as soon as it's announced that he's gone, then it's easy to turn around and say, "Look, legends, I appreciate this. He did blah blah blah." And I think that's what they're going to be able to do with Bielsa. They can acknowledge that all the work he did to to get them promoted, and you can say he's a genius and this and that, but you have to acknowledge at some point because the same fans would be complaining that they're too big for the championship in a year, and they'll probably be doing yeah. that. Yeah, because for sure. I thought the the entertaining thing with Leeds was, and it very much based off that opening game against Liverpool, wasn't it, where they went toe-to-toe with you until they fell away at the end of the game and then they kind of laid the foundations there. I didn't see them. A Spurs team, which, as we've shown, can quite easily be got at. I didn't go into that game with any hope that they could get a result. I I, I wouldn't look at them if they were playing Chelsea. Even the United one, once they put it back to 2 all. United shouldn't go on and win that because United no. fall apart. Once the going gets tough for this United team, we've seen they capitulate and yet they were able to pull it back. That's a bad sign. There we go. So we'll see how Jesse Marsh does. Um, He's getting the Ted Lasso treatment immediately, isn't he, by the way? <laughs> yeah, games are coming thick and fast. But um, if we move on, because we do still have the boxing and the UFC to get into. So Jack, if you are still there, um, unless, you watch the UFC, uh, unless you're watching the UFC, we can uh, bid you farewell and you can... Uh, Grieve in peace. Yeah, see you, boys. Adios. <laughs> All right. Tiki, I believe Alex has left already. So uh, I was about to say, you've been rude to Alex, was he gone? No, he, he texted me saying he was leaving in five minutes and I got the message where it had been five minutes. So. <laughs> um, let's start with the boxing. Uh, Josh Taylor took a split decision win over Jack Catterall in Glasgow with the heavy favourite nearly seeing his undisputed championship reign ending his first defence. Taylor had a much, much rougher time than he was expected to have, but eventually won with scores of 113, 112, and 114, 111 his way, and the other card going 113, 112 in Catterall's favour. Taylor was also dropped in the eighth round, at which point he did really appear to be under pressure. Just, and... We, we all have these kind of responses and most of us then watched the Ecole card last night for our sins but it felt like one of those where you're like what what is the point? What is the point of wasting my evening watching this? 
Yeah, yeah, it, it did, and it's it felt, and it's always the latest one is always the worst one, didn't it? We always say this is the worst one I've ever seen, and then the next one comes along, and that's yeah. the worst one we've ever seen. I think, considering what was on the line here, I think this is as bad as you'll see because we know for a while Catch was never going to have a chance of getting the four belts again. His night like this, um, and it's just it's just, it's inexcusable. I can't. There's been fights before where you thought. I'm not sure I agree on that, but I can make a case. I can't make a case. It's, if you can find five rounds for Taylor, I'd be impressed. So CompuBox saw Jack Catterall land 120 of 525 total punches, 81 of 267 power punches. Josh Taylor, 73 of 306 overall, and 57 of 179 on power shots. So Catterall outworked and outlanded Taylor on the punch stats. I know that doesn't account for scoring round by round, but I believe there was three rounds where Josh Taylor outlanded Catterall. And I think I may be being generous there. I think so. Um, Yeah, I don't know how you try and tell Catterall to get over this. I thought he was quite right to not come out and do an interview because it's like, what the hell can I say? Um, if he loses his rag, then that's the story of the night is that he was a bad loser and blah, blah, blah. Um, no consolation. Yeah. Should have torn the place down. Yeah. No consolation to him that his stock's gone up. Um, I saw people say, oh, well, look, well, we'll give him a shot at a vacant belt um, next time around. Yeah. Like that's the same thing. I also sure he didn't even, he didn't actually accept any money for a step aside for no. Taylor to go for the undisputed, which is wild when we look at the fees that would be entitled for the uh, for Joshua and White. Yeah. Um, do you think if the verdict, if we could explain it quite simply as corruption or incompetence, it'd probably make it a bit easier to digest, wouldn't it? Because you'd have a clear thing of saying, well, that's boxing, blah, 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 this happens. The fact that you can't wrap your head around it because if you're going to fix it, you'd probably fix it better than this. If you're if yeah. you're incompetent, like you'd think it would be scored wider in Taylor's favour, it wouldn't be that close. Um, I, I don't know. Do you look at the fact that Kinahan is involved with them both? There's far more money involved with Josh Taylor. Do you look at top rank who are looking for a big fight with with him and Crawford if they can't get um, the Spence fight. Do you look at the fact he's in Scotland and they want a big win while he's there in his hometown? Like, I, I, I don't know how you arrive at that result. Like, Usually, with that kind of situation, I'm looking and I think, oh, I really hope he doesn't get robbed here. Until you heard it was a split, it didn't yeah. really cross my mind that they could possibly rob him because it was so conclusive. Yeah, it's it was so one-sided that even sort of cynical boxing fans like ourselves probably thought, no, they can't fuck this one up. And then obviously when they do the the announcement with the one where you go one fourteen one eleven, you know, well that can't possibly. You know, if you even if you're going to rob this guy, the one fourteen one eleven can't be the one that robs him because yeah. that, that won't be. Just so I mean, that was Ian John Lewis who gave three of the first four rounds to yeah. Taylor. Yeah, I, I just can't. I can't comprehend that. It's, and I can't even comprehend. I've said this to you separately that I can't really comprehend the narrative that it was a two-half fight. That the no. second half captured the foot off the gas and coasted. I didn't see that at all. 
Josh Taylor landed three punches in round 11 and he landed three punches in round 12. So if that's him motoring on because Castro landed over double that in both those rounds. And even if uh, you and even if you go to sometimes the company bus stats are a little skewed, aren't they? We, yeah, we know yeah. ourselves they're not always accurate, and they might not be. I feel they pr- probably are a bit off, but they're not a million miles off. And you could tell by the like I said the eye test. There's a Taylor just looks a bit clueless as to how to deal with Catchall. The, the whole the way in well Catchall kept nice and compact. There's a shoulder rolling. I was going to do the old Mick Hennessy shades of uh, shades of Mayweather in there. <laughs> it was um, just nice work. You feel like. Taylor just wasn't prepared for that at all and looked a bit clear. I was just kind of plodding forward, which we're not used to seeing him do. After after the fact, it's always telling when these robberies happen and you hear what the corner is saying before the last round. Now, Catterall wasn't being told to coast. He was being told, you've got three minutes left, so they switched on. Josh Taylor was being told, you've got three minutes, you need to knock this guy out, you're down. Yeah, and Ben Davison can deny he said that. He said it multiple times in the last uh, six rounds of the fight. He kept telling him, "You're down, you're down, you're down. You need to get to him." And I mean, what said it's motivating, Luke. That was all. What was. a piece of work that guy is, and that's putting it nicely. I mean, he was telling Taylor, so he switched on while he's spending ten seconds of the time between the rounds trying yeah, to g the up crowd. the crowd. Oh, god, painful. Uh, we can we can speak about him in a second, but. The, the British Boxing Board have done what you'd imagine. They said that they're calling the three men to discuss their scores in front of the board. Um, Robert Smith's already come out and said, I can categorically tell you they scored this because that's what they saw. There's absolutely no corruption involved. If that's what they saw, that's part of the issue. And sometimes, and in most sports, you would say, like, if 10 Premier League managers say a decision should go one way and 20 fans say it should go a different way, you should probably side with the managers. They're inside the game. They know how these things work. If thousands and thousands of fans agree on one outcome and there's only three people that feel it should go a different way, then maybe we need to start looking at how these things level out because if I'm honest... Even the scorecard, um, Howard Foster, that goes um, Catterall's way, I think that's bang out of order. That he's only won by yeah. a single point. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. That's another hallmark of these robberies that happen as well, where one scorecard is just so outlandish that that gets the headlines. Don't overlook the others either. The one that has Taylor narrowly winning is just as bad as Ian Jones' yeah. one. And like you said, the, the one that has Catterall even only narrowly losing, I can't comprehend that even. I think it was, you know, if you don't have at least two or three rounds in it as a, as a minimum point, I can't comprehend your card. Um, as you said, any argument to be honest, where you've got 95% of people are saying something, I think you've got to look at yourself and go, okay, what's the situation here? And boxing, does, boxing Twitter certainly doesn't need much excuse to get contrarians out who's just contrarian for the sake no. of it. And these were a very, very, very small minority which told you something. I, I don't think that these people involved are intelligent enough to be able to come up with a, a corrupt outcome here. I don't believe they could band together and pull this off. But <laughs> for the sake of it, the fact they they agree on 10 rounds, five of those being for Taylor, 
that that's worrying to me. That's odd, isn't it? That yeah, when that... I saw that after the facts, I thought that's really really strange. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't clocked that. Yeah, they they agree on ten of the rounds. Uh, they agree on five of the rounds for Taylor. They agree on four of the rounds for Catterall, and they all agree that one round in particular was even, mm. which is even stranger to be honest with you. Because when we've got, a, a, and that a was the point Taylor point deduction round, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe, which I think is quite telling. The the home fighter has a point deducted in that round, and you all insist he won that round. I, it doesn't look good, does it? Obviously, yeah. in their defence, they're going to go and say, well, look, this is obviously just how the fight was. We all saw it the same, so therefore we're not all kind of, I don't know, all united. It's kind of better than all of them being scattered again, I guess. But from our point of view, if you're looking at corruption, you're going to go, well, hang on a minute here. I think it goes in with um, the, the Frotch Groves one as an example because I fully agree and accept that the crowd are going to do everything they can to G up Josh Taylor during the 12 rounds. Hmm. When when they don't cheer and jump around and celebrate the decision going his way, that's when things are a bit fishy. Um, and it's it's not like we dislike Josh Taylor. No, we pay no, exactly. Good money to go to London and watch him against Progray in the Super mm-hmm. Series final, and we're cheering on Josh Taylor while there. I'd have bailed that decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Compare the reaction when Taylor got the decision there. And it felt like he had done enough to earn a close, hard-fought decision. Yeah, exactly. And compare his reaction to how he was. He he almost had a reaction forced out of him. And in the moment, I I I don't th- I don't expect him to give any other answer than yes, I thought I won the fight. He's been yeah. told that by his corner after the fact, um, and they're just the only person that we've seen do it. To, to their credit, is O'Hara Davis in recent times. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't expect any of them to say, you know, no, I, I did think I lost. But after, when, when, you, when you start just being a dick about it, basically, and you're like, you, people just thought I was going to smash him so they were giving him extra credit. Um, not a chance. I thought even just immediately, you at least pretend and say, look, I'll go back to my team and we'll talk about it rather than, yeah. no, I'm you're definitely least- going up. It doesn't look good, does it, either? When you've had your hardest night's work and then you go, right, I'm moving up, I'm not doing this again. I don't think it looks looks good anyway, even if we didn't have all this controversy. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's just for you have to left a real, like, sick taste in your mouth. And part of it, I texted you during the fight that I was surprised just how many people have been drawn in. And I know you wrote mm. in your article before, Brooke Kahn, about the Sky Machine. Mm. Um, there, there, There's a guy I work with and... He very rarely watches boxing to the mm. point where I don't think we've had a conversation about it since I started working there. Right. Um, he texted me during the Scottish heavyweight title fight, which was another <laughs> thing in itself. But just to, just to say, the amount of eyes that were on the card, um, we had a group chat that I don't think they would be offended to say they're casual boxing fans. They were all mm. watching it. Yeah. Um, and I was texting a couple of them during it, and it was... Even if you don't follow boxing like we do it, I didn't think it was a particularly difficult fight to wrap your head around no, um, I thought no. I thought the commentary was quite good on the night to be honest um, I thought you could quite clearly see a guy charging forward not really landing anything and a guy who was being made to look foolish at times 
Jack Catterall was landing the harder shots. He was landing the cleaner shots. Um, his More often as well. Cleaner. Yeah. So you couldn't even go like it. one was one was quality, one was volume. He kind of had both. And the worst thing is, uh, this isn't a disrespect to him. He's probably never going to be able to perform that well again. That was a, a night where I think everything just came together. Yeah. No, I'm, you're absolutely right to say it because the amount of times, and they didn't even... Well, they didn't even have the good grace to do this this time, but normally they'll go, you know, Hearn's done it many times, and they'll go, we'll run it back then. And it's kind of, well, that's neither here nor there, because this was his night, this was the big one, and you've taken yeah. it all away from him, and that's, I don't, I don't know, it's, you felt horrendous for him, absolutely horrendous. And then when yeah. you saw Jamie Moore and that apoplectic, I thought their reaction was great because it was a, a truthful reaction. The way yeah. it, I don't know if you've seen um, Nigel Travis's revival. I haven't, but I am going to. It's, it's probably the angriest I've seen someone on camera. You know, when someone will compose himself, this yeah. was just, uh, it was like the camera wasn't there. He was just going all in and, and was absolutely right. Cause like, and this is life-altering. Like him doing that, Yeah. From a, even if you just call it like an emotional central stand, you can always call yourself, normally in this situation, you go a world champion. In this case, the very, very rare instance where you go an undisputed champion you yeah. just know you can't get the belts on the line anyway. So to gather all that. But then, like you said, the, the monies you would have got off it, the future and in potential, all quashed on the basis of free people who can't do their job. I, the whole thing of them having a bad night in the office, it, it, it might yeah, sound we've got ruthless. we too many of these. Yeah, apart from the fact we've had a few too many, even if we hadn't, I don't want to seem ruthless, but you can't have a bad night. It no. can't. You just... There's an old Chris Rock bit where he says, you know, certain jobs you can't have a bad night. A pilot can't have a bad day at the office, right? Now, no, no one's died in this, but it's, they've affected someone's life forever. Well, also part on of it the is... basis, of, and they'll just go home and be like, oh well, you know, that's my job. That's no, you can't have a bad night. We have three judges for the fact that one of them might have a bad night at the office, and the, the other, other two, two ensure <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't happen. Um, it's unforgivable. If we ignore that, I mean, he's had one in his favour in in the last uh, month. It's probably the angriest I've been at a decision since um, Callum Smith, John Ryder. And that yeah. was different because yeah. that was a closer fight, but it was just, it, the, it felt very much the same. This guy's never going to perform to this level again. Mm. The the moment's been taken away from him. And like I've seen that it's, it's being mentioned in Parliament. Even if they change it, even if they said, okay, we got it wrong. We're going to give Jack Cutter all the belts. That's not the same, is it? That doesn't give him the moment. It's not even the the being able to call yourself a world champion. You you train for that moment in the ring where you hear that buzz, an awful MC on this occasion <laughs> say, I'm the new. And you get to go mental in the ring. You get the belts. You have everyone in the changing room, everyone patting you on the back. You go out to your press conference and you can talk about, yeah, this was a dream come true, blah, blah, blah. He, he doesn't get any of that. And the expectation when he fights next time He's not going to be able to match that because he is a scrappy fighter. He's not pretty on the eye. He hasn't brought in enough fans where he's suddenly going to go and sell an arena. This this no. isn't Groves against Froch where you've literally made a superstar overnight. No. Because for as he much as I like Jack Cass- No, exactly. No, and, he, and, he, and Groves had a, a backstory of him and DeGale was on pay-per-view, for example. So you had some standing there. Anyway. Yeah. He had been working with David Hayes, so you had some profile. Catchwell doesn't have that. And we've seen for lesser, I think this was a case of he was up for this fight, but these lesser fights that he's had in, in the between, because he's kind of known he's been fighting for a yeah. long time, right? 
he's been sort of stale and stagnant, hasn't he, in his performances, and you've seen it. Well, he fought, um, I remember him fighting O'Hara Davis, and I mean, I'm not even just saying it, and I would have liked to have come on here and gloated that I'd picked this guy out before. <laughs> I've been very high on this guy, and I used to say it, maybe not completely believe in it, but he seemed a guy that I could put I could put my word on, and there was a good chance things pay off, and you're like a genius after the fact. Um, yeah. Now, I remember he, he he went against O'Hara Davis, and he'd had some big nights already. The Tom Stalker one was obviously much like this one. He's overlooked going in. He goes, bombs him out of there, and it's like, it was well, the coming out the fight, wasn't kid? it? Yeah. The, the Stalker one, yeah. Uh, the O'Hara Davis one, it was like, okay, he's not been able to get up for them in a, in a while. Um, he's been a bit scrappy, because he never used to be as scrappy as he is now. He used to be very clean and getting his work off, um, but he was just willing to get dogged when he needed to. The O'Hara Davis one was another horrible one to watch. And he just looked like, what am I doing here? I cannot be bothered to be fighting these kind of guys when I deserve yes. to be at a much better level. Now you've been at this level, I don't see that, um, if we just look at the guys around him, you're not going to get that type of fight with Progre. No, 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 it's true. If you look at the guys around him, if we're promising him a vacant title shot when he goes up, he's either going to get a guy where no one really cares. If he gets like, if he goes for the WBO or something, it's going to be like, who cares when you're facing this guy? No one's heard of. He's like sixth in the rankings because everyone else is doing these other vacant title shots. Or he's going to have to go over to America, face someone like Progre. And then people are going to say, oh, look, like, he was never that good anyway. Just Josh Haley just had a bad night. Yeah, and it will forever be the night that could have been which is fine for the rest of us all to say, but that's for him. That's his entire life. <laughs> I, I didn't think Jamie Moore had that in him to coach. And if we're going to lambast him when his fighters perform badly, we've got to do the opposite. I didn't think Jamie Moore could coach someone to that standard, no. coach a game plan to that standard. And I mean, he's someone who's very likable as it is. I thought the way he handled it, just with the pure emotion, as you've said, I thought he was very easy to get alongside. Um, and I think we've both had some reservations about him as a coach, haven't we? I mean, not, yeah. not reservations, but we haven't seen him have a guy. He's he seemed a comfortable like, guy to go and work with. Like Frampton at the end of his career, I actually understood yeah. it. Yeah, exactly that. He seems, like you said, knowledgeable and a real likeable guy. So you can see this is an right fit. But he doesn't have an impact on someone in the way we've seen, say, Shane have an impact on a fighter, for yeah. example. Uh, so that told on Saturday, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure, like you said, we'll come on to come on to that side of things. But the I thought the game plan was unbelievable. If you told me that Catchall was going to go in with that game plan, I thought that's a bit mad. And then to implement it, I've, I would have said not a chance, not a chance. And, and Taylor, you could even see he looked kind of bewildered. He looked kind of like I don't know how I'm going to sort of crack this puzzle. He didn't know how he was going to land on him. He didn't know how he was going to avoid the shots from Catchall. Four people said about it being scrappy, and obviously it was. Two, yeah. two southpaws. That, uh, there was a pretty much classic clash of southpaws in terms Taylor, of the, the things yeah. that went wrong. Yeah, I thought the classy stuff was from Catchall. I thought he did land some real good classy Catchall stuff as well. landed a big one on him in like the first 20 seconds. He, he yeah. came out in his shell, and yeah. I think he slipped, and he landed that like overhand right, and that landed like, really nicely and also he didn't really seem perturbed when Taylor was landing on him so and he, he does look like a tough bloke if you remember there was the one with um, 
Tyrone McKenna, which is probably the cleanest he's looked for about six rounds when he just battered him, and then it went to a decision because he just kept getting up, basically. Mm. Um, Very McKenna-esque. Yeah, but there was a point in there where he was like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I'm not scared of anything that you're going to hit me back with, so I'll just hang in here. And it looked like he was well aware before that I'm going to have to take some to land and do what I want to do here. And he effectively let Taylor have that little short left on the inside because it meant that he could get in close enough and if he needed to duck under and clinch then he could do that but the the most clinchy and I thought Taylor was forcing as much if not more than Catterall was yeah yeah I agree and Taylor's only real success was that sort of dirty boxing off off the clinch where the ref would let Taylor just basically fight his way out of it and he landed some nice stuff inside but as you said Catterall just basically didn't mind him doing it it seemed I wouldn't he didn't have, have a good night, either, did he? The ref, if we're going to criticise the judges as well. The ref, oh. I mean, he was in a tough position, but to I saw a tweet, and I can't remember who it was from, but there was a tweet, and it said, um, that point off for Catterall, strange now. I hope this isn't the first sign of something fishy going on. Yeah, who was it? I saw, I saw that same I tweet. Maybe yeah. someone that is with the ring, maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe someone that was with... Um, I was thinking so one of the American boxing channels. I thought it was going to be like Luda Bella or something out of nowhere then. I know he didn't say something about it. It may it, well so. be. I think it was I someone who's involved in one of the American hmm. boxing channels. Yeah. That, that is true. I, did, I do remember thinking, if the ref takes a point off Catchell here, that's quite telling. That's backing the home guy here because they're both as bad as each other in this instance. Yeah. And, and in that instance, I think you've got to decide he ended up being caught somewhere in between the ref where he was sort of like, I'm going to let them deal with this or I'm going to get involved. And he, he ended up too much in between where you're like, I don't know which one you're doing here. And no. I think probably he wouldn't have taken the Taylor point off had he done with the Catrell one. No. I think he ended up in a panic situation. But that was, yeah, because Taylor shouldn't have whacked him like him, but it was like somewhere between a touch on the belly and a punch, wasn't it? So Yeah, we see that he, quite a lot. Yeah, I thought he was a bit more forceful than normal and Catcher obviously did as well because he tries to tap him back. But I think in a different context, the ref isn't going to dock a point there because of what he'd done. He had to. And then in, in closing, I mean, Ben Davison. And I do think this is telling because um, some of the people I speak to that don't really follow boxing, even they, even they knew what an asshole this guy is. And they were messaging me about the way he flicks his air around and they like, where do I recognise him from? I pointed out the Fury Wilder and he was like, oh yeah, God. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of people recognise him from the afters of Billy Joe Saunders' um, Canelo where he disgraced himself after that as well. The facts are he's now been responsible for the worst performance of Fury's career, at least serious career. Um, mm. The worst performance of Billy Joe Saunders' career, the worst performance of Josh Taylor's career. But there's there's a there's a sequence coming here. Give you credit mm. for the Lee Wood win against you can. Great win that was. But they, it looks to me a, a guy who's buying his own hype, a guy who wants to get himself all up in the video and he, everything about it. Like, he's just a really unlikable guy. And Very easy to dislike, isn't he? Very he, easy to dislike. The tactics which you've pointed out there, and I know we've both watched the uh, Shane McGuigan interview where mm. he says, don't blame the weight. That was nothing to do with the weight. It looks like wanting to say that he's put his own spin on Taylor and say, look, yeah, this maybe. is what he was doing before. 
because it makes no sense otherwise. You, you don't look at the successes I've previously and say, We're changing you know it. what would be a good idea <laughs> to change that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly against a guy who we've just pointed out that Castrol's been scrappy previously. Surely you work on your inside work before that fight when you're well aware that you're probably going to be fighting that kind of way? Yeah, it's. I'd say there's a good boxer as well, though. So you can you can kind of do both, and it kind of he's he so know good what the on the inside was. usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't look like he was doing either. He didn't look like he was going to try and jab and move, and he didn't look like he was going to try and work his way in. He just he ended up somewhere in between. And I mean, the, the problem with Davison is that maybe he is a good coach. Maybe he will be a good coach. But when you give interviews like he has, yeah, no one works be, like him. You've got to be unbelievable. You can't have nights like this. There can't be. And Taylor, if he regresses, you'll forever look at it and go, well, you're not a good trainer then because this guy is the goods. He's as good as you could be handed and you've made him worse. We, we can't look at you in any other way. I think when you look at Fury leaving him and Billy Joe Saunders leaving him, for me, those are the two biggest tells that they knew something wasn't right because those are two guys who are more than happy to have it comfortable and have people telling them the best thing since sliced mm. bread. And Fury, maybe I'm doing him a disservice there because he clearly made the right call moving to Sugar Hill. But for Billy Joe Saunders, for you to think he has to go back to a team that he turned his back on and burnt some bridges with and has to beg for his place back in the gym, for you to have to do that because you don't feel you can be at the level you want to be at with Ben Davison, that's a bad look. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They're both... Um... Whether you like, whether you like them or not, both shrewd operators as well. And if they, like you said, if they smell a rat, they'll get the head out of there. They won't be putting up with you being around. So that's what I mean. That the the Billy Joe Saunders one is the one for me because mm. I think if at this stage of his career, if you're going to give him the 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 space to have a muck around, and as much as Davison's trying to claim that he was the guy um, for the uh, Canelo fight. Interestingly, Billy Joe didn't feel the need to come out and say the same thing, that he was the one making the call in there. He seems a guy who's desperate to make a name for himself. Yeah, and even if even if I do back him, it seems to be that they just seem to get along with him. Lord knows why, but look, that's a separate issue. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. Being a guy who like, people like is not really the same as being a coach. It doesn't, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. Ideally, you get along, but you're just basically a water carrier if you're just a guy that people like. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the players all seem to really like Frank Lampard. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean that you've got the, the coaching ability to go alongside it. Every manager who's ever been sacked has had some players who will come out and be like, I'm really going to miss you, boss. It's like, shame you can play like it then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because there's obviously something's going to miss. Yeah. Um, it does stink. Um, we will carry on watching. Um, this is the other thing, by the way, that you, you've got the perfect sort of storm by which this will never be dealt with. By I think the actual judges themselves are incompetent, but then the board is corrupt. So you've got incompetence that's underpinned by corruption, if you want the answer to it. It's ultimately, they're not going to look at it. Even in his statements, Robert Smith said, well, there's no corruption here. It's like, yeah. well, if you're doing that before you're doing the investigation, there's no point in doing the investigation, is there? Because you've already said, You've drawn a conclusion before you've started it. I think I saw two of the judges have done 10 previous Josh Taylor fights. I mean, that, that is a is another thing. I think at world level, I think you have to have neutral 
judges because at least if we're going to give them hugely the benefit of the doubt, you're going to say they're giving some of these rounds based on what they think Josh Taylor is and what they thought Catterall was coming into this. In the same way as when the first Frotch Grows fight stopped, Frotch was, I think, ahead on one card and then like only behind on one or yeah. another. You're like, well, that was a battering. What's this prior understanding of it? If you got in three Americans, neither, none of them would know these guys. And you have an objective situation where they don't know anything about them prior. And you probably do also have, this is probably also a good argument for uh, the people who advance the, there's no reason for the officials to actually be there so that they should watch it at a screen somewhere else so yeah. they're not influenced by the crowd. This probably acted as the perfect example of that. But I remember seeing an interview with Hearn where they said the British board don't want foreign officials coming in. They want the British ones in there, which is maybe the finest example of uh, Britain's arrogance at its best there. No, we need British there. That's what we need. Embarrassing ourselves again. I've seen um, it explained before and they've said, Okay, maybe it's it's not that uh, the judges are corrupt, but at the same time, um, the promoter is saying to them, "Okay, uh, Howard, um, just so I remember for next time, do you prefer the Hilton or do you prefer the Radisson? Which would you prefer to stay at this time?" Yeah, and, and come down the night before, we'll take you out for dinner because I mean it's a long way for you to come, and they're, yeah, they're so pally pally with them and promoters and. Uh, judges are, are traveling to the arena together in some chances they're going for dinner the night before and what was the fight it, that we knew about where we knew judges had gone for a meal with was it Hearn or someone else someone it was linked Hearn. The Hearn had taken someone for a meal or something hadn't they that just can't happen and it, it happens in more sports than we'd like to imagine but mm. in boxing um the the pool is so small that we shouldn't be recognizing the same time like i shouldn't no. be able to tell you that victor lachlan's from paisley <laughs> yeah. i shouldn't yeah, exactly. know that yeah absolutely that's that's exactly right but it is literally it's the same bunch every single time and it's just a big boys club in it as you said when they're coming out saying it before the fact um You're we, not gonna we all done. we all already know that the report will come out and they'll say Look, they're satisfied with what the judges saw. And Robert Smith was very careful in what he said. He said that I was actually there on the night and I, I thought that Jack Catterall just pipped it, is what he said. He said it was a very close fight. I thought, that yeah. is not what the rest so of the So essentially, saw. you can then say, well, what? We'll say, Subjective. he'll say, depends what you like. Yeah, he'll say the one was maybe a bit wide, but he doesn't think that a wrong winner was crowned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got the right at the end. The end is what you'll say. Before we and the other, the other, sorry, just that you said if we're box fans, we watch boxing the next night. So the whole thing of we won't watch again is out the window for a lot of people. But then there are, like I said, the wider audience will go. Well, we're not going to fucking watch, and so you've lost an opportunity here because you had eyes on this fight, and everyone's going to go. Well, I just had a really good forty minutes of action there, and it was all under undermined entirely if, if the cup final on the weekend had been we'd have that game from Liverpool and Chelsea but at the end of extra time they go right Liverpool you're the winners you know like, yeah. well, why the hell did we watch this whole thing for this? we need to have actually an actual conclusion we don't need just people just arbitrarily just giving it and people kind of seem like that's a hyperbolic or exaggerated answer but that is exactly what's no. happening in this sport the main response I saw on social media was what's the point yeah and I that actually is... think it 
when you've got a fight like this that wasn't the most entertaining, what you were still watching and buying into was the story that this underdog was about to rise up and take over and be the undisputed champion when no one gave him a chance. Yeah. And so when you've actually invested in the storyline rather than the fight, when you're then deprived of that at the end, then it really does feel like it was all for nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I imagine you had similar, um, like people know that we watch it and so you get more messages than you would if he'd mm. won yeah. the won a smooth decision because people say, like, what did you, like I had my uncle text me, he's like, what, what did you score that fight? Because I didn't really see how it could go to Josh Taylor. And I had a couple of other people text me saying, that's mental, the the boxing, but yeah, boxing is just corrupt, isn't it? So, yeah, and, and as a fan, you want to go, well, it's not always like this. And then you go, well, it does happen too much. Of it. I can't defend it. So you, you're kind of, you almost feel like these fingers being pointed at you and you're complicit in a way. And yeah. 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 This is, this is the sport and it's and shit. It shouldn't happen. None of those people saw then Jordan Gill on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. No one then stopped. The, the total flip side of how great for boxing me, it can be. me not want to watch it. I mean, I didn't mm. really want to pay to watch Lawrence O'Coley anyway, but it's kind of like, I'm just a bit burnt out now. I don't know if I want to just go and put myself through this. And Ben Shalom, whether he follows through or not, I've never been more impressed with a promoter post, post-fight managing something like that because I know if it was Frank, if it was Eddie, if it was Bob Arum, whoever it was, they'd say, look, it's subjective. It's a close fight. I don't, I thought the one guy won it, but I don't see how you can argue that the other guy pipped it. Him using the words embarrassed, him yeah. using the words corruption, him using the word investigation. And the way he did it, wasn't it? It was the tone with which he, well, he did. looked like he was teary eyed. Yeah. Yeah. He felt like, an ang- like, like angry, like a genuine to... fan, he seemed like, which is. Which is Eddie will hate that, by the way. Eddie will absolutely detest that. He's going to now pitch himself as the guy who fights the board and bad yeah. decisions and whatever because he can't have Ben Shalom coming in and doing that. He's going to reference every <laughs> other time that he's made a vague reference to, oh no, that decision was bad. See, I went against what the judges said here and he's going to make out like he really pushed for it because he can't have this. He, won't he only ever it. criticizes the judges when his man then still gets the win and he'll say, look, I thought they were too wide. Yeah. And, and there'll always be a pointed sort of it should be better but look the British board do a lot they do a lot they're great and I know there's not perfect but they're trends he was laughing after the um, remember the Gavin McDonald world title fight yeah he got yeah. battered for 12 and he got and he was a split one not it mm. um, and he was laughing about it like the right man won yeah 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 I, I'm, I'm not confident that anything changes but no, I'll look forward change. to seeing if they do um, just to close then just quickly um UFC 272. I do have it right this week. Um, that is <laughs> that is the card this weekend. Um, yeah, before we get into the intricacies of the intricacies of it, it's it's a great card. Hopefully, well, actually, mm. one of these fights has already fallen through. <laughs> Hopefully, no <laughs> more do. Um, Brian Kelleher against uh, Umar Nurmagomedov. Um, you've got Devonte Smith um, fighting. The Jessica I fights off. Tim Elliott, always great fun. Um, Nikolai, uh, I forgot how you pronounce that. I know how he fights the that ne- Negu Moreno, <laughs> yeah, yeah, against, uh, and Zetchaku. Um, 
Jalen Turner against Jamie Malarkey, uh, Marina Moroz against uh, Maria Agapova, Marina Rodriguez against Yan Zhao Nan is the number one contenders fight. Sergey mm-hmm. Spivak, Greg Hardy, people are complaining about that. Don't have too much of an issue with it. Yeah. Kevin Holland, Alex Oliveira should be great fun. Edson Barboza against the absolute mentalist is Bryce Mitchell. <laughs> RDA against uh, Fiziev. And then Colby against uh, George Masvidal. It, it, it should just be a great night of fights. It shouldn't be able to miss, should it? And I'm sure this this whole week they'll release more and more Colby and Masvidal stuff, which at this point you, you probably think, because I imagine we're both on the situation that we think Covington wins this pretty handily. No, I disagree. Okay, so I was I was thinking I'm gonna it's gonna take a lot to convince me that Covington doesn't win. And yet the first interview I see with them going at each other, I'll be all in. I'll forget any common sense and I'll just be going, This is fun, I'm all in. There's one with Stephen A that's dropping on Wednesday, I believe. They're supposed to be quite tasty. Yeah, uh, I've seen a clip. That might be about to go mentally, so I might have to get up and let him out. Um, uh, You're going to make the case that Masvidal wins? That's what yeah, that's oh, not, not necessarily that he wins, but I, I do think there's more of a case for him winning than he's being sold. I think if we look at the damage that Colby's taken um, in his last couple of fights, uh, the Usman fights in particular, um I don't know if if you take that same level from Masvidal. Um, I also think that shooting for five rounds of takedowns, I I, I do think George is more liable to crack you. Like you said, George, mm. that's what Colby calls him. Uh, more <laughs> yeah. liable to crack you than uh, Usman is. I, I don't know. As, as you said, I started the way thinking um, it was essentially a layup for Colby and I do think it could look like that at the end of the fight but he doesn't have the same level of, of invincibility that feel to him that Khabib does um, with a similar style so Colby does try to set it up with his strikes while not being the crispest of strikers so I, I think it could be tasty I think he's going to have a couple of hairy moments like Kevin Holland used to uh, not Kevin Holland, Kevin Lee yeah, yeah yeah, I, I guess that's probably the hope for the fight as well, isn't it? That you, you have that. You, the, the, the last thing we need really is for... This will be a great build-up, and I'm sure they'll do great numbers because this is a genuine rivalry. And I've, I think we've said on here before, probably a story they probably should have sold a bit more in terms of when they were looking to guide Masvidal's career. They probably should have made this, probably over the Usman fight even. But they need it to have some sort... Even if Colby ends up winning, there has to be some sort of back and forth it can't just be that he just mauls him round after round because that would be a bit depressing end to end it on yeah um uh, i still think covington decision mm-hmm. but yeah the I, I won't rule out the masvidal one i may have to sign off here because i quite literally <laughs> that, that to cat's kicking it off <laughs> yeah but i'm sure we'll have plenty of time to get into it next week so uh if you're tuning in for Boxing Talk, you're happy. If you're tuning in for the UFC, we'll uh, sort you next week. But hopefully two and a bit hours has been uh, more than enough. I need to get up because he's going to scratch me carpet up. So uh, thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. <laughs>